welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 36. Samwell thrusts the dragon glass. I'm Scatty, we have with us Brooke and Matt as always. Hello. Greetings. And today, we will be covering a brief summary of A Storm of Swords, John 2, Sansa 2, Arya 3, Samwell. What? Samwell? That means a new song from Matt. Samwell 1, and Tyrion 3. That's chapters 15 through 19 of A Storm of Swords, according to a wiki of Ice and Fire. Uh, quick reminder, we are spoiler-free until the end of the podcast for a special segment we call Davos After Dark. Don't worry, we'll warn you with a quick little mu- musical jingle and uh, uh, an also verbal warning uh, telling you it's coming so you won't get spoiled if you're not interested in being spoiled. Also, if you want to contact us to suggest uh, topics for future episodes or just ask questions or whatever you want to do, uh, you can do that lots of places. DavosFingers.com, uh, Twitter at DavosFingers, email at WeAreDavosFingers at gmail.com, or uh, on the Facebooks, uh, we have a presence there as well. Uh, also, just a quick shout-out, we've got lots of great communication lately, people with questions of what we think, theories of their own, lots of stuff, uh, quick names, Maxine, Courtney, uh, Frosty Beck, and uh, recently from Teal Deer. We haven't got back yet, Teal Deer, but we will. Actually, by the time you listen, we will have. But uh, anyway, so thanks, thanks everybody for the communications. Uh, keep writing in. We love hearing from people. It's fun. Okay, next on the agenda. Uh, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, uh, but as of this recording, the, the the posting went out. I think the day before we recorded this episode about George's Winds of Winter news frowny face, uh, kind of frowny <laughs> face. It's 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 a mix for me. Uh, so basically, for those that don't know. Uh, he was scheduled to finish The Winds of Winter by Halloween in order to release ahead of the Game of Thrones. For those that don't know, that's um, a mildly popular TV series that goes along with these books. Uh, it goes, uh, goes along with the books? It goes along with the books. It's associated. There are similar character names. Associated. Okay. Associated. I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that, that usually starts around uh, April. And he was meant to deliver the next draft, or sorry, the final draft on Halloween. He missed that. He blew right through it. Uh, they extended him and said, hey, we can pull some strings. We can get this book published in like three months if you can get it to us by the end of the year. And he missed that too. And he basically wrote on his own little Germ Speaks blog type thing uh, that he's still got entire chapters to write, then clean up work. He's basically not days or even weeks away. He's, he's a ways away. So, this news rocked the blogosphere. <laughs> People were upset, <laughs> uh, complaining. But frankly, uh, what I read, it seemed like people were very supportive, which is where I am. Uh, fingers, your thoughts? He's gotten a ton of uh, positive support. He released uh, another statement just today. He did. Um, thanking people for the positive response that he's seen. I really appreciated his, his candidness, his honesty, uh, taking accountability, um, it, was, it was very humble. The, the whole post had this air of humility, which I really appreciated. Look, I, I'm disappointed that we don't have the Winds of Winter in our hands yesterday. You know, that's just mm. this is just a, a fan of the book. I'm, I'm disappointed that I don't have the book. But am I disappointed in George R. R. Martin? No, not one bit. Uh, the guy is – what I appreciate about this is I know that he cares, and he's not doing it – 
just for the fans, right? You get these bands that release albums that they do because they're on a schedule and record companies are expecting it and stuff like that. And then the album ends up sucking, right? George cares enough about this, these people, this story, whatever, that he is going to make sure that it is done right. And even though it pains him to make people wait, he's still going to do it right. And I desperately appreciate that about him. So there I am. Disappointed in the news, not disappointed in him. If that makes sense. Diddles. I hope he rots in hell for this betrayal. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I thought you'd say. (laughs) I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah, he doesn't owe us anything, right? Yes. It was was really nice that he even gave us an explanation, though. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It kind of... Him saying he's not even going to give himself a deadline kind of just breaks my heart even more. (laughs) But I will will patiently wait. I know that the, the reward will be sweet. And uh, my only concern is getting spoiled by the show. Like, I'm like I'm r- really going to have to go deep. That's what he said. Um, That's what he said. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you mostly, Brooke. I, I, I didn't feel... I mean, I, I think I did read Humility, Matt, in his message. But the overwhelming emotion I felt reading it was hurt. I felt, I felt bad for him. No one should have... Yeah. This is his life's work his masterpiece no one should feel this way about delivering their masterpiece look i wasn't there and i'm not a big art guy but was anybody like knocking down the door on van gogh like you you don't i i realize it's a stretch brooke don't laugh at me but it's just that he was like wildly unpopular that that's that's entirely my point the fact the fact is these, the, I don't want to blame the show. It's not what I'm trying to do. Um, the, the show actually, I think, has been a blessing for him, for f- actually for the world. It's been great for, for the large majority of people, and for him especially financially. And I'm glad for that for him. But I hate the fact that the show has added pressure to him to deliver what really will end up being his masterpiece, and I think a masterpiece of fiction. And uh, it just... It gets to me on an emotional level that he's feeling so guilty about this that he has to, like, apologize to the world for missing a deadline. Dude, it's your world. It's your thoughts. It's your words. You don't need to apologize to anyone. Fuck HBO. Fuck me. Fuck everyone else waiting. You do what you need to do. That's the way I feel about the whole thing, and I... I just read that thing and I felt bad for him. Yep. He just wanted to give him a hug. Yeah. Graciously. A hug would have been great. Come here, buddy. It was so bad. I saw a guy in a, in a motorized wheelchair wearing a little George hat that looked very much like him yesterday. And I almost went up and gave that guy a hug. Just, (laughs) just to like, you know, maybe he'd feel it through the ether somehow. That guy would have been so, so worried. And just, all like, short squash nose men are basically an the same person. Of George, yeah. So, yeah, this is my orange juice. On yeah. Get away from me! You messed <laughs> up my hat. Yeah, his tone was very like he did not have to be as yeah humble and gracious as yeah. he was. No, right. But you kind of get the impression like maybe he's been given some letters Reprimand. that are like yeah, you know, uh, I don't know write this book or I'll, or I'll kill myself or you're 
this book is my only reason for living or, yeah. or, or one of those situations. And that's why he's handling it so delicately. Cause, cause he's a pretty ruthless man, right? Like, well, he... mm, uh, I don't know. I don't know anything about him to be honest. That's the impression I get from like his interviews and stuff. Like he doesn't really take shit, mm. so I, I get the feeling that he has been delivered some particularly grim shit, and that's how he's mm. dealing with it. If if that's what it is, I'm actually pleasantly <clears throat> surprised. What I'm actually afraid is that he's been giving a hard time, been given a hard time by the suits at HBO. That's what I actually fear. That's what angers me. I don't want his life's work. I don't know. To be oh. subject to suits at HBO. That's I don't imagine they would antagonize their... their I think at this point they're like, we're doing what we're doing. Yeah, and maybe. Yeah, That's what I, that's what I feel. And, and in regards to that and the spoilers, uh, Brooke, that you brought up, the show is so different from the books now that no matter what I see on the show, I'll always be wondering, is this spoiling the book or is this... Or is this just something that they made up? I, I won't get, know. I get that on the broad but strokes. He admitted that there yeah. will be. But I'm things. not. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I don't know how there can't be. Yeah. Um, I mean, in two seasons when the show I admittedly, ends. But the admittedly, end... I am not as. You're not I don't want as to be spoiled, spoils, but it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't bother me as, as badly yeah. as it does you guys. Bother is strong. I, it irks me. It, it annoys me because this well, is. And you, and, you, you guys both are like you will avoid spoilers at any cost. That's not true. Yeah. I ask you what happens every week after you watch the show. <laughs> that's true. At least you say <laughs> well, that I you want avoid to avoid them, and I cost. don't want to know. But but basically, I I want. Here's here's the thing. I want to interact with our with our Twitter followers. I want to be involved with this podcast and its fans. And avoiding avoiding the show is impossible if if I want to be involved nice. in that way, and yeah. so I, I just kind of wrote off the fact that that's going to happen. And I agree with you, Matt. Like there are things that are going to happen in the show that do not happen in the books, and that keeps you guessing, right? It keeps you guessing. The guessing is the big thing. For but me. the broad strokes are going to be the same. Who ends up on the I Iron Throne that... if there is an Iron Throne is going to be the same. If John comes back alive, same. that's going to be the fucking same. Yep. Like yep. those things are going to get spoiled for us, and that's annoying. And and it's only annoying because this doesn't happen a lot. Germ even pointed to it in his in his note that we were talking about. We hadn't covered this part, but he talks about some other things where he had watched the televised version before he read the books, and also versions where he read the books and then watched the the TV or, or movie version. And he said the difference is this is happening oh, simultaneously, simultaneously, which is how I say yeah. simultaneously. And yeah, that's the frustrating part. But you know what? I'm over it. It doesn't matter. This is his world. We're just living in it. So whatever happens, happens. I'm okay with it. Am I worried about spoilers? I don't want to be spoiled. But is it going to happen? Yes, and I'm okay with it. Okay. Yep. That was way longer than I think we intended. Anybody? Any other thoughts? No. All right. Well, regardless, we wouldn't have gotten Dream of Spring before season seven of Game of Thrones anyways. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yep. Fair enough. And yeah, anybody that thought thought that was delusional anyway. Yeah. All right. Uh sorry George if I just called you delusional. Okay. Uh last last notes before we dive in. Star Wars teaser. So at this point the movie's like been out for almost a month, but if you want to hear the three of us geek out about the new Star Wars film, hang on for a special segment after our sign off for a new movie segment a new movie review segment called Films Get Fingered. <laughs> what? 
or uh, <laughs> full disclosure to our listeners, Matt and Brooke have not heard these names yet. This was my episode, and I came up with them. Films get fingered, or giving Hollywood the fingers, or fingering Hollywood, or lastly, something cleaner: Davos fingers movie reviews. No, the uh, first one. I choose A. Genius. Yeah, I choose Genius. A. Genius. Oh, I love it. All right, films get fingered. It is. We are forever mired in the gutter. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so if you want to, if you want to hear that, uh, just stick around for the end. We're we're gonna spoil the shit out of everything. But again, if you haven't seen this movie within the first month of its release, come on, shame on you a little bit. Um, and then uh, that's it for for the news section. Um, but it'll be way at the end. So listen to the end if you want that. Uh, I think we're ready to move into John, hosted by Matt. Matt, you ready to kick it off? Where well, we're going up north where the winter's cold And the icicles bloom like the bluest rose We haven't met his mom, but we love his wolf He's John Snow So, it appears as though John has found an unlikely friend in the form of Tormund Giantsbane, the outspoken, brash, yet congenial lieutenant of Mance Raider who John is now writing with. So as John marvels at what he estimates to be hundreds of giants riding great mammoths, he is also entertained by Tormund's autobiographical tales of how he got his various names. And each story is more outlandish and entertaining than the last. For example, how did he get the surname Giantsbane? Well, he was so cold one night that he found a sleeping giant, cut open her belly, and crawled inside for warmth. Uh, I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Oh. <laughs> yes. Oh, my. But my favorite tale of Tormund's is how he got the nickname Husband to Bears. We won't go into too great a detail, but it essentially involves him being Randy, skinning a bear, her biting off half his Johnson, uh, leaving it in his estimation still twice as long as anyone else's, and having his kids. Woohoo! Um. Anyways, this talk of severed genitalia eventually segues into Igrit, and how the only explanation Tormund can think of to explain why John hasn't sealed the deal with her is that the rumors about Night's Watchmen being castrated must be true. Because you see, Igrit is coming on strong, like uncomfortably slong, strong. <laughs> schlong? <laughs> That's what uh, I almost said. Good one. Uncomfortable strong. schlongs are common. <sighs> Woof, I tell you what. Like, either she lost a bet with her friends, or she really needs help on her history homework strong. Not that I would have any experience with either of those things. But anyway, she follows John everywhere, sleeps as close as she can get to him at night, and even coyly suggested that they go skinny dipping in the freezing water and then get warm together. Uh, John's inner reasons for rejecting a greet to this point are twofold. One, of course... Uh, are his Night's Watch vows, which he still intends to hold on to as long as he can, perhaps feeling that they are the only thing that really anchors him uh, to the Night's Watch and from becoming a complete wildling. The other reason is more shallow. He just thinks she's not that hot. Like, tangled hair, round face, pug nose, crooked teeth. Just not, in thinks, that, just not that into you. Yeah, he thinks like she'd be like a five by highborn Westerosi standards. But still, still... He can't deny her pretty eyes, even set as far apart as they are, nor her smile, which completely makes one forget about her need for braces. But most of all, when she sings, John gets a half C. And I certainly know how that is. When a chick sings, if she sings well, oh, it makes her ten times hotter. Anyways, 
He continues to argue with Tormund against betting her, citing honor. Tormund thinks that's silly, holding to the wildling philosophy of taking what you want when you want it. Uh, anyways, riding with Tormund's group, John is suddenly attacked by an eagle who claws at his face like a bat or eagle out of hell. The eagle is eventually chased off by a Greek who claims it is Orel, the warging wildling who John killed in the Skirling Pass and who is now somehow living as some sort of essence within the eagle. Rattleshirt, who uh, appears to be admittedly complicit in the attack, or at least okay with the fact that it happens, claims he's come to fetch John as Mance has summoned him. So bleeding all over his handsome face, John agrees to go with Rattleshirt to see what Mance wants. Uh, Agree goes with him, by the way. What he finds when he gets to Mance's location at the front of the Wildling Horde leaves him in dismay. Mance is at the top of, you guessed it, the Fist of the First Men. But instead of Night's Watchmen armed and waiting for him, there is only carnage. Blood-stained snow, dead horses, and signs that people were trying to escape from the Fist, not get into it. He also finds Mance in a less-than-friendly mood. Uh, he calls out John for lying about the Watch's numbers behind the wall. You'll remember John originally told him uh, he was only part of a very small party. So under threat of death and not wanting to jeopardize his mission, John comes clean with Mance, revealing that the strength of the Night's Watch was actually 300, that Mormont was personally leading them, and that Bowen Marsh commanded back at the wall. Mance's men, guys like Stir the Magnar and Rattleshirt, still aren't convinced of John's devotion to the wildling cause and are on the, are on the brink of killing him when Agreed steps in claiming that she and John had gotten their oath break on a number of times since he'd joined up. Uh, so seemingly mollified by this revelation, which would prove John has uh, obviously ditched his vows, Mance then gives John a new assignment. He and the Greet are to accompany Stir and Jarl up and over the wall, back onto the south side, to do some reconnaissance. Oh, and Greet? She later claims to John that she wasn't lying about the oath-breaking. Sure, they haven't gotten down yet, but they will. So, oh, Johnny boy, what next? And that's where the chapter ends. Well done, Matt. Uh, I hope you did realize that you have an excellent uh, parlay into a meatloaf reference with your bad out of hell from earlier. Oh, no. You did it. What have it's, I done? It's your fault. What have I done? You have to put it in now. Oh, Just like no. John was tricked into sex, you have to do it. I was tricked into meatloaf. <laughs> I'll do it, Scat. I'll do it for you. Tricked into meatloaf like many a day in my youth by my mom. Tricked into meatloaf. <laughs> it's good, I promise you. This was a fun chapter, though. I didn't talk about it much in my summary, but it was great to get a more in-depth look at uh, Giants. It was great to get a look at Tormund Giantsbane. He was delightful. And it's great to see some of this inner turmoil that John is dealing with, both with, I think he hasn't admitted it to himself yet, but you can tell he's starting to kind of like a lot of the wildlings. Um, and, uh, of course, his uh, turmoil with what to do about a greet, too. Just a fun chapter. I enjoyed it. What do you guys think? Yeah, you were absolutely right about uh, it wasn't just his oaths that were keeping him chaste. It was definitely his 
even though he's a bastard, which he reminds himself of, like, hourly. Yeah. Too, too good to uh, roll in the in the bedroll with a, with a wildling. That uh, haunted him for a while. A pug-nosed, crooked-toothed. Yeah. Lisa Loeb. Like, kind of like he was holding out for something better. Egret has what you'd call personality, or what uh, your best friend would call personality before setting you up on a blind date. Uh... Not that you'd know. But but you can tell this is a transition step. No, I would not know. This is You can tell this is what you'd call a transition step to him really liking her. I mean, you can tell he's starting to be moved by her personality. And, yeah, personality matters. That's how I got my wife. <laughs> oh, you mean your personality. Oh, damn. Did that, oh. I was is, like, oh, scad. Is it not true? Wait a minute. Did she marry me for my looks? Is that what you guys are saying? Oh, no. Oh, absolutely not. Oh, thank God. <laughs> uh, I, lo- I love Tormund. Uh, yeah, his, his uphill both ways way of telling stories. Uh, that, you know, you know they cannot be true. <laughs> but they're just right. so fun that you'll want to believe them anyway. Uh-huh. Yeah, he really humanizes the wildlings. Like, the way that he gets Absolutely. along with everybody. And and is, is sort of like that, that slightly annoying uncle that everyone has. Who you can you can handle in small doses, but you know if he keeps up this this bullshittiness much longer, you're gonna lose it and just storm out of the room. No, oh, yeah, you I can take also, him in doses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I also love that you know he could joke around with the giants. Like, yes, great relationships with everybody is obviously very valuable to Mace, and uh, yeah, fascinating character, so funny. Speaking Har. of the giants, Har. Har. Tormund, or, or sorry, not Tormund, uh, John observes them as having horny feet and flesh. What does this mean, horny feet and flesh? Is this, does this word mean something that I don't know? Horny? Um, I kind of think of it like that, like, tough, mm. sort of dead skin like, around Like calloused. Like calloused? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, I suppose I could that have... That is an interesting description, though. Yeah. That's uh, just not a, an, a usage of that word I've ever seen before. Uh, you know, other than the first two times I read these books. I liked the realization that John came to about Mance, that um, he John points out all of the different types of wildlings that are part of this horde. Um, and really, it's the first time we get this look at what the horde is made up of. Yeah. Um, it, we've just seen them all as this big clump of humanity called wildlings before, and now we see that there's these men of the frozen shore, there's hornfoots, there's night runners, there's all sorts of different types, and they're all coming together, and some of them have even been enemy, enemies previously. And I liked that realization that Mance, his ability to lead isn't uh, so much dependent on tactical ability or something, but an ability to unite people. And... Um, it's an admirable quality, and it seems like one that John has kind of taken to heart. So, uh, cool look at Mance Raider and an astute observation by Johnny Boy. I had a couple, I had a couple observations from John's observations about Mance. First, he notes that he can end this whole thing by killing Mance. Mm-hmm. And he notes, he notes also that he's still a man of the Night's Watch. Isn't he being selfish? Kill him, right? Oh, it is a good point. Why didn't John just kill Mance? Well, he says he says it himself. He's like, "Oh, if it comes to mm-hmm. that, I should just kill him. If it comes to what, just kill him." 
If you really well, believe it's well, over, if you kill him, just kill him. Your life is your life is born to the watch now. Ah, but that would only accomplish half of their mission, right? No. What? Because the other part is to figure out what they're doing and what the wildlings are doing, why they're massing where they're massing and everything. Yeah, if they found um, that horn or some so, way to and, take and down the probably ball. The best way, best person to get that information from is Mance. I mean, so he says, he says (laughs) the wall would be safe for another hundred years. You're saying, I think, if I follow your logic, he's not interested in the next hundred years. He's interested in forever, which would be finding that horn. Is that what you're Uh, saying? Yeah and no. Uh, Just that part of their mission, the reason Jor wanted to go beyond the wall in the first place, is to figure out why the wildlings are doing what they're doing. I thought it was just to find Benjen, wasn't it? It was. It was. It was to find Benjen and and other reasons why rangers are disappearing, but also to figure out why wildling villages are emptying, why all this is happening with them. And I think he needs Mance at this point to be able to do that. I don't think they knew about the villages, just uh, clarity question, I don't think they knew about the villages emptying until they got out there and realized they were emptied. Is that not true? Mm, I think that if we went back to J.R.'s original convo with John, he does mention that okay. part of the reason they're going beyond the wall is is to figure out what's going on with the wildlings. Okay. Uh, right, my, I, for my sense, my second observation? Yes. Why is Mance doing this? We, we, I mean, uh, he, he, so, okay, so a, a little uh, background on this, on this question. He talks about Mance went to this village and coerced them with words. At this village, he sung a song. At this village, he impressed them with his intelligence. Like, he did all these things, going to these villages and earning all of these people's trust to bring them together. That's a lot of work, man. Like, what's his goal? Like, what, what, why is he, why does he feel this immense pressure to do this, to unite these people? Uh, that is the question of the day, right? It's also what John's trying to figure out, I think. All right, so um, your answer belongs in Davos After Dark, I think, if I know you. Possibly. Uh, <laughs> I, I've got two, I, but I don't know. I've got suppositions. Um, I think that there's two things. One is, and maybe the two things are related. One is to invade, is to get an army big enough to get over the wall. And the other is for protection from something. Um and he somehow feels this sense of duty of wanting to save as much of humanity beyond people. the wall as possible. Uh, again, that would require quite a bit of... Well, it's know. all speculation, I suppose. Maybe it's an unfair question yeah. at this point. It could be yeah. that he has a family now, too. Like, From the sounds of it, he didn't really get going on gathering people up until after he came back over the wall from the feast at Winterfell that he snuck mm-hmm. into, and he met Dalla knocked her up now he might on be on his way back yeah. yeah more incentivized to you know create a, a better place for his child but in Maybe. the previous john chapter he said like uh, you can get a few wildlings around the wall no problem so if uh-huh. he was really interested in just his family he could do that mm-hmm. i don't know That's true. i just it seems odd all this effort put into am- amassing this host i mean he's got stark mm-hmm. blood in him so he's just like stubbornly honorable whoa there's no explanation for it wow that's a leap he has stark blood well i mean only starks would be that noble (laughs) (laughs) that was a leap (laughs) oh all right uh do you guys have anything else on john no i'm good uh i'll just say two things uh quick 
Uh, Gurm references a Midsummer Night's Dream twice uh, in this chapter. What fools you neithers be and what fools these black crows be. Thanks, George, for keeping Shakespeare in mind. Um, actually, that's all. That's all I'll mention. Uh, oh, I like the call out to Rob. Uh, in the South, must a man wed every girl he beds? <laughs> Tormund yes. says that. They really didn't get that whole thing. <laughs> like, uh... Yeah. Wow. Call, call back <laughs> to the I last episode. Yeah. In, in one chapter previous, we find out that Rob you know, yes. married Jane and everything. And yes. That was clever. All right. Ready to move on to Sansa? Don't know when a prince will come, but surely he's a gonna come for Sansa Stark. Here be looking like a totally and a daddy killed a wolfy Sansa Stark. Ah, Sansa, the prettiest little trooper. Things are finally looking up for Sansan since the end of the battle and since Marjorie Terrell has invited Sansa into her sparkle motion troop. There are significantly fewer beatings from the Kingsguard. Joffrey seems to be adequately distracted from tormenting her. And shock of shocks, Queen Cersei has commissioned Sansa a new dress since she's been literally busting out of her current wardrobe. Basically, I want to be Marjorie's friend too. Wouldn't you guys agree? Like, hanging out, eating lemon cakes, gossiping. Not to mention you're going to sleep with Marjorie. Having sexy sleepovers, playing kissing games. I'm probably not like much for the hunting but I'd love to ride horses and chill with hawks. Just like have a hawk on my arm. Sweet. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it sounds pretty good. Yeah. yeah, It's a, it's a, it's a great life. If you're uninterested in education and are okay with being married off as basically a brood mare, but uh, it's a good weekend life for sure. But they're going to yell your name in battle. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's a perk. Uh, You're going to lose a lot of favors though. Anyways, it's well out on one of these hunting adventures that Sansa, not wanting her new awesome sauce friend to have to suffer the same way Sansa had, warns Marjorie again to watch out for Joffrey's brutality. But Marjorie seems completely unconcerned about Joffrey and tells Sansa that she has her brother Loris to protect her. It's such a complete brush off that Sansa believes her, citing that Marjorie's older and wiser and her father, Mace Terrell, would never intentionally put Marjorie in harm's way either. So it's nothing but new dresses and daydreams of playing with puppies with Willis Tyrell out in Highgarden. Sansa is feeling so confident in Marjorie's and Elena's promises of setting Sansa up with Willis that she even calls off the escape plan with Dantos. When he warns her that the Tyrells only want Sansa for her claim to Winterfell as Rob's direct heir, and that they're just Lannisters wearing more perfume. She isn't moved by these cautions. It's a win-win in her eyes, and she really needs to concentrate on being just as fertile as possible right now. She's got to whelp some sons. So, goodbye, Dantos. Really busy working on other things. And, uh, yeah, that's really the chapter. Sansa only briefly questions the elaborate dress that's being made for her. It's Cersei's dressmaker. She's getting all the lacy bells and whistles. It's basically described as like the setting for the gem that is Cersei's bosom. And I quote, potentially a better bosom than Cersei's. Whoa. Cersei probably has a great rack. So Sansa's really putting out on this one. I mean, look, I'm intrigued. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. 
lot of talk about her breasts in this chapter. Just a lot. Yeah. Not to <laughs> mention they put off, uh, they moved other highborn ladies to the bottom of the list and moved Sansa up over yeah. them to get yeah. the dresses made. Yeah, Queen's orders. So yeah, got to get that dress made. I think they and, just uh... wanted to work on a more bosomy dress. I think that was the reason. <laughs> that was. Can we talk more about bosoms? I mean, <laughs> what kind of cast do you want to turn this into? Because I'm game. Let's do a bosom count. How many times we've said <laughs> bosom by the end of this podcast? Oh, jeez. So long as or the we could count bosoms is... too. Yeah, so long as the segment's not called fingering the bosom. I mean, what's wrong with that? That sounds like fun yeah. for everyone. Painful is what it sounds like. Ah, it depends on your tastes. Uh, technique. Yeah. Anyways, so so everything's. Riding high in Sansa land, she's really, like, putting a lot of her eggs in this basket of a potential Tyrell marriage, yeah. which uh, is ringing alarm bells for me. But It is. It, for her psyche, it is. I mean, I don't, I don't know that it hurts anybody that she's doing it, other than maybe that she's canceled her plans for an escape. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just kind of, I, I felt a little bit of relief in this chapter. It's like, oh, she gets a chapter off from being <laughs> tormented hit. and beaten and having no yeah. hope at all i got to, i i loved it it, it was just, i mean you know she she still had the self the, the self recognition the the recognition that uh these girls that were after a man to wed and someone to yell their name in a battle were completely misled and dreamers mm-hmm. but she was also able to relax a little bit and think of a better day mm-hmm. it was it was kind of nice. It was a, a nice, relaxing chapter for her, which is not normal. Yeah, she felt a lot of like pity for their naivety. Yeah, but she, she says, wasn't "Yeah, that my favorite it. line was yeah, my favorite line was Sansa envied them. Period. Sansa pitied them. Yeah, uh, I have a word of the day right around that. Do you guys want it? Yeah, word of the day. Yeah, envy. Yep. <laughs> a combination of pity and envy. At first you feel a sorrowful pity for someone followed by the realization that you envy the situation that person is in when compared with your own. Pinvy. Mm-hmm. Nice. Very good. It's not my best. I mean, it's, no, it's, it's, it's up there. Austin, add it to the register. <laughs> Words of the day. Um, gosh, because Sansa, you know... We kind of give her a hard time a little bit because of the way she acts, and when we get like Sansa, get in touch with the real world. You the do. The real world is this and this and this. You're such a Sansa uh, hater, Matt. I am. I hate her. I just oh, I can't stand her. Um, for those listening to the cast for the first time, I'm like the biggest Sansa apologist of all the three of us. Uh, you know, but we do, and it's said like Sansa, get with the get with it. Like real life isn't the way you think it is, and da 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 da. And we forget that, yeah, she needs to figure out what real life is, but no child should have to figure out what real life is the in the way does. that Sansa's yeah. had to figure it out, yeah. right? Uh, to be beaten and abused the way she has mentally, physically, whatever, emotionally. Um, and so it is. I agree with Scad that it's nice to see this. You root for her. You, I mean... I just want this to work for her. Please just let her marry Willis and let this be good. Her eyes are starting to open, but this is just a repeat of the last time she put all of her trust 
into yes. another woman, which it's... was Cersei, when she told Cersei about the plan to yeah. escape. Um, it's two steps forward, one step back to me, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, we've seen this before, Sansa, you should know. And it almost like she was trying to be cautious at first, but she's just been... I don't know. She's just been convinced. She's well, been taken. With the prospect yeah, she... of a dreamy Willis, what else can you be but taken? I yeah. love that she she imagines them like listening to a uh, a singer out on a boat and cuddling puppies and yeah. cuddling puppies. I'm like, yeah, I'm cuddling with you, girl. puppies. With yes, that's a good <laughs> dream for sure. While Rob Stark massages her feet, all, of them. all, of them. all, all, all of them. everyone. Yeah. Uh, Fun. She whispers his name in her pillow at night, while Arya's whispering the names of the people she wants to wants kill. To kill. <laughs> Sansa's whispering Willis. But don't forget, it sounds like Loras. What is Cersei's game, though? Like, why, why, why go to the effort? Does she have some sort of ulterior motive? You, Brooke, you mentioned Sansa barely questions yeah. it. Well, here, here's the thing. We're going to learn about this in a chapter during this very episode. In the upcoming Tyrion chapter. But yes. we know why the dress is going to be made. But the, the timing is just a little bit wonky. Like, Yep. Yeah. So. Do-do-do-do would probably be best. Yeah. Mm, for okay. that discussion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, then. I ask a different question. What is Marjorie's game? That's another... Uh... <laughs> God damn you guys. Just spoil it for everyone already. Uh, yeah, this, this was I will just say this. I will say this. Okay, okay go, you, go ahead, Scan. I will just say this about... Well, uh, nope, I won't say anything. Go ahead. Da-da-da-da. This is, okay, no, we this have isn't... to move on. Otherwise, we're going to like accidentally spoil. Okay, if we want to. This isn't spoilery. Go ahead. A thought. Marrying Marjorie to um, Joffrey and Sansa to Willis means that no matter who wins the war, the Tyrells come out on the winning side. Very mm. true. Mm-hmm. Good point. Good Stannis point. right now is beaten down. The Iron Islands, nobody seems to care about what Balon Greyjoy is doing or get much to do. So who, Renly's dead. Who are the big players left in the game? Rob and Tywin, the Lannisters. Doing this sets up good relations for either side, I think. Yeah, that's a that's a good point I hadn't considered. Good thinking, Matt. Brooke, you have anything else for this chapter? No. Long live Willis. Uh, let's move on to Arya. Arya! On the foot! Horse face! Stick him with the pointy end! Arya! On the foot! Horse face! Stick him with the pointy end! Ah. So, ah, Hot Pie is gone. Turns out that while Arya and Gendry left to presumably continue to river run with Harwin, Thomas Evans, Lem Lemoncloak, and others of the outlaw band they met in the last chapter, Hot Pie decided to stay behind with Sharna and husband at the end of the kneeling man. Oh God, give me the reason. I'm Turns out they need someone who can make bread, and by golly, can Hot Pie make a mean bread? So he sticks around. Arya does miss him truly, but she's also very much enjoying the company of Harwin, who you'll remember is a fellow Winterfellian and therefore a friend. She fills him in on what she's been up to with Yorin, Harrenhal, etc., although she leaves out the parts about her killing people. 
and he tells her what happened after her father sent Harwin and others under the leadership of Beric Dondarrion to hunt down Gregor Clegane as he raised the Riverlands. Turns out that whole deal was a trap set by the Lannisters that went wrong for them only in the sense that Eddard himself wasn't there to fall into it due to Jamie Lannister being all big brotherly and setting in motion the events that got Eddard's leg broken and therefore unable to exact justice himself. Turns out Dondarrion and his crew of about 60, including 20 men from Winterfell, were ambushed at a place called the Mummer's Ford and beaten down pretty badly. Uh, one interesting account in all of this is the survival of Dondarrion, who had taken a lance through the chest and by all accounts should have died. But it turns out Thoros of Myr, Myr also in Beric's party, and that dude that likes to wield the flaming sword, did some crazy voodoo magic uh, almost without intending to, and all of a sudden Beric was on the mend. He didn't die. In fact, he's up and moving again. So hmm, we'll keep our eye on that little development. Anyways, as Harwin tells it, this now small band of barracks suddenly found themselves without a cause to fight for. Originally sent by King Robert to fight Tywin Lannister and his cronies, well, Eddard speaking for King Robert, these men wanted to stay loyal to the king. However, that king was now dead, and one of the very people they were sent to deal with in the first place is now the hand of the new king. Oh yeah, and that new king also has Lannister blood as well. Don't forget that. So this outlaw band makes a decision. They'll fight for the small folk. We've talked before about how in pretty much every instance, the small folk get screwed, and Dondarrion and his men decide to do something about it. They are treated as heroes in every village they enter, and their ranks are swelling with men, women, children, and even dogs who are inspired by the cause. And a pretty cool cause it is, in this reader's opinion. So Harwin goes on chatting away until Arya realizes by looking at the sun that they aren't going to River Run. They're heading south, away from River Run. At this point, Harwin, Lem, and the others admit that indeed they aren't going to River Run. Instead, they are taking her to Beric Dondarrion as they do with all their highborn captives. So just hearing the word captive triggers Arya in a bad way, and she springs into action, taking off on her horse and making a mad dash for freedom. She doesn't even care where she's going so long as she can get away from her potential captors. And she leads them on a merry chase for a moment. I mean, let us not forget, Harwin is the son of Winterfell's now deceased horsemaster and knows how to handle himself. On a horse, anyways. So despite Arya's head start, he soon catches up to her and literally reins her back in. Although doing so rather pleasantly and complimenting her on her writing ability, remarking how much it reminds him of Lyanna Stark. And so, once again, despite their apparent uh, congeniality and friendliness, Arya is frustrated to find herself once more a captive in her eyes. And that's how the chapter ends. Oh, I can't believe they lost Hot Pie. <laughs> was the biggest blow to me. That was definitely the one takeaway from this chapter. Let's move on. <laughs> well, like, it's... It's Ooh, yeah. no big surprise that they were not going to, like, bend the knee and help this princess of of the North, right? Like, they were always going to do whatever they had to do with her. And that she came to this realization so late was just kind of sad. For being a kid. Yeah, for being a kid. Oh, and trusting, trusting someone that she knew. Right. I, I think I think a lot of it goes to trusting Harwin. And 
Uh, I don't really blame her. I, I, I feel, you know, the rules, you know, we've, we've read this series. We know how this group operates, but she doesn't really know. And I don't think it's an unreal, unreasonable expectation for her to expect that when she's found out to be who she is by someone who was served. I mean, don't forget it's Eddard Stark who gave them their command to go that they wouldn't be like, oh, God, this was a command that we respected, a man we respected. Maybe we should just do right by this girl. And Jesus, what has she suffered through? I don't, I mean, it's a little surprising to me, even to me, a reader, not Arya. No? I'm alone? That, uh, that Harwin wouldn't. Yeah, that they wouldn't, yeah. well, not just Harwin, not like he's going to break away from everybody, but as a group, they wouldn't just be like, you know what, she's seen enough. Let's just get her home. Yeah, they. Hmm, yeah, I wouldn't have expected them to ever think like that. But Arya showed such shrewdness in, um, you know, uh, when she had to deal with Roose Bolton. Yeah, like not trusting him right away. Yep, true. Yeah. Eventually running, that maybe she was just tired of running. But tired of running, and remember, she hasn't seen anyone she's known since. Mm. She ran away from Winterfell, right? Yeah, like, no, it's true. Tramps like Arya, baby, they were born to run. That's why the lady is a tramp. Uh, question. Maybe mm. if she hadn't told them that she was Arya made up uh, some sort of fake identity would they have been <laughs> or just not said anything let her go yeah. yeah yeah could she have made it to river run if she had just not yeah it's mentioned got... who she was harwin probably wouldn't have recognized her if she wouldn't have yeah, said something yeah, that's took... the very question she asked herself yeah. And yeah. yeah yeah she would have been uh, to completely anonymous mhm but what would they have done? I, I mean, I, I don't know that they'd have know. let her go. Like, to, oh, I'll trade for the boat. Well, that's a fleeting idea she had. It doesn't mean they'd have gone for it. <laughs> you know, and is she strong enough to pull the horse to river run? I don't know. I, I, I think she was kind of screwed either way. I think uh, the emotion took hold of her, and I don't know. Was it the best choice? Probably not to reveal who she was. You're right, Matt. I mean, with Bolton, she so, she showed extreme caution. When she saw someone that she knew, though, she knew him. You know, she knew him. Right. And and so she broke down, and uh, I don't know. I can't blame her for that. No, I can't either. I can't either. And um, I, I, you know, I do think it just, it, it does surprise me a little bit. The way this culture is set up, you belong to your lord. When your lord dies, you belong to your lord's son. When that son dies, you belong to his son or cousin or whoever it is that, that is the heir. Regardless of what kind of assignment you take on in the middle, you still belong to that liege lord. It's a little surprising to me, yeah, that Harwin isn't like, okay, kid, we outpaced everyone, let's just keep going to River Run. He still belongs right. to Rob. He should. He should still belong to Rob by everything that they're taught from day one of their lives. Mm. Which, which shows you how, uh, how effective this it, group is how effective yeah. the group is perhaps even a glimpse into how inspirational a leader Barrick is yeah yeah that he would inspire this kind of yeah. um, devotion 
in yeah. someone like Harwin. I agree with you, Matt, about this cause. A, a, a very queer sort of honor these men keep, but they keep it very well. And it's a mm-hmm. noble cause they serve, yeah. And I, I should bring up, uh, if you're more interested in, in this group, the Brotherhood Without Banners, because it's it's kind of skirted over a lot in this book. You kind of see them in fits and starts. Uh, Radio Westeros has a great episode on them, uh, if you want to go check it out. Word up to that. Uh, let's see, we had Arya's Dream. That might be better suited for Davos After Dark. Yeah, probably. Um, Bad A Award for this chapter. I've got a Bad A Award for this chapter and also one for Sam's chapter. This one, Alan, gets my Bad A Award. Yes. He was a young, uh, not a knight, uh, but a guy in Eddard's service who was part of this troop that got attacked at Mummer's Ford. And even with all these other knights in the crew getting cut down and everything, Alan was the one that uh, rallied the rest of the survivors and got guys away and stuff. So yeah. he gets my award for this chapter. I cool. think he always he always had dreams of becoming a knight. Yeah, it talked about, and he proved his medal there. And I think he had the command, did he not, of that group he wasn't of Edward's men? I don't know that. Uh, I don't remember reading that. You could be right, and I just don't remember. Oh, I do know he he stepped up and rallied everyone and got him away. So was anyone else dying to know Get who the other five members of the Winterfell group were? If there was Ooh. a Poxy Tim in there somewhere, do you know? No, no, I'm I'm dying oh. to know. <laughs> No. Well, Poxy hung out at Winterfell, right? Oh, if there was a Poxy Tim, a Poxy uh, Tim a Poxy type, Tim a, a yes. diseased Ted, if you will. <laughs> I like that. That's all I got. All right, let's move on to Sam. Cue awesome new music. You don't think that you belong here, but boy, let me tell you, you do. Samuel Tarly, they can hardly keep your dreams from coming true. Slaying things that'll make the bravest shiver. Time and time again, boy, you deliver. Slaying, fighting, reading, and writing. Samuel, boy, this world was made for you. Oh, that was so good. Oh, I love the song. <laughs> Trudging to trudge. The slow, weary, depressed, yet determined walk of a man who has nothing left in life except the impulse to simply soldier on. That is from A Knight's Tale, and is also what Sam is doing. While sobbing incessantly, it should be noted. His club feet of ice plod on through the never-ending snow, even as his own brain tells him he can't go another foot. He has lost count of the days. Why not stop and rest, the more intelligent readers may ask. Well... They all knew that if you stopped it, you you just died. The old buried created a ring of fire, men with torches, to encircle the survivors, creating an illusion of safety for those that can keep up. As he trudges, he falls and stays fallen, thinking it might not be so bad to just let the end come. He had done his duty, after all. As the snow envelops him, he recalls the flight from the fist of the first men. His job was to get the messages off to Castle Black and the Shadow Tower. He wrote them ahead of time and tucked them away, and like a good little soldier, he got them off as soon as the horns blew. Then, despite his self-proclaimed cowardice, rushed to the lines to partake in the battle. He arrives to see a volley of arrows whistle toward a wall of whites, but they keep coming after the arrows. Mormont commands the brothers give them fire, and commands Sam back to the ravens. Now, in a truly what I consider to be brilliant piece of writing by George... Sam pens letters furiously as he interprets the battle sounds around him, 
They start positively. We've thrown them back with fire arrows. All safe. But gradually they turn bleak. We're retreating. And finally, hopelessly, we're all lost. He's awakened by Gren shaking and shaking him and yelling him, yelling at him, making him get up, refusing to just let him die in the snow. Small Paul, our fearless Lenny, is needed to carry Sam as he can't walk on his own. As he's carried, his thoughts again drift back to the battle. Horns call the Night's Watch to horse this time, and as his last action before mounting up, he frees the birds, failing to remember to attach even a single one of the damn messages he wrote from what he heard of the battle. I don't know, maybe like the one that said, use fucking fire, would have been helpful to someone back at the wall. <laughs> anyway, the rest is a bit of a blur for Sam, as white wildlings, black brothers, white giants, and white fucking bears break through the wall. The Night's Watch struggles to remain composed as they try to break down the slope of the fist through a mass of whites. Sam had survived, though, he didn't know how, and now they began the journey home. Sam snaps back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity as Sam realizes that eventually even the strongest man in the Night's Watch can't carry his weight. That's the gravity part. They've fallen behind the rear guard torches and they must try to catch up. They're alone. Sam, Gren, and an exhausted small Paul who's been carrying Sam. When out of the darkness comes an undead horse carrying a rider pale as ice. It dismounts. Smoothly. Not the ungainly movements of a white, slick and silky. It cuts Gren's torch in half with ease and dispatches Small Paul deftly, the big man's blood smoking where it touched the ice sword. But in that moment was our hero's salvation, because the sword of ice got caught under Small Paul's weight, and unbeknownst to the other, Sam has got a pocket full of kryptonite. Sam stumbles forward, dragon glass dagger in hand, and shoves it into the neck of the other. The damn thing melts on contact. Armor and all turns into a river. What a world! What a world! Emboldened by the small victory, Gren picks up the dagger, gives it to Sam, and shows Sam that dawn has come, and they can catch Mormont and their friends. I'll try. I'll try hard, says Sam. And that's the end of the chapter. Samuel, 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 Samuel. Good retelling, man. I did my best. That was dramatic. Well, Brooke, I don't know if you know this, but uh, (laughs) I act on occasion. You you dabble? You're a a thespian? Sorry, lesbian? It could be called any of those three, dabbling, thespian, or lesbian. (laughs) I'll go with dabbling. Oh, so amazing, though. So great. Oh, thanks. Oh, man. So, oh, so much in this chapter. So much. Um, first, I guess, uh, the other. Let's talk about him, because we haven't seen one since the Tim prologue of A Game of Thrones. Right. Uh, awesome, right? Just, I get, I get the sense he's just kind of like, uh, just kind of smooth and graceful and just kind of in control of all of his faculties yeah like like sam mentions in the chapter he's a far cry from the zombie-ish whites yeah. right here's 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 honestly what i think and uh this came to me because of the uh the fact that he he can walk on top of the snow i immediately thought of legolas in lord of the rings uh uh-huh. when he walks on top of the snow there on the on the mountain and mm-hmm. uh then i was like he's exactly like legolas he's lithe and thin and mm. just sinewy, but like totally in control and athletic. 
I think they're just right. like ice Legoli. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. It's even whiter. Even whiter than yeah than <laughs> than the old Legolas. I don't know what what were you guys' uh, reactions to the others to the other I guess in this chapter. Absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And it's because of those qualities that you mentioned. Someone that's in complete control. Like, you can feel like you can maybe pull the wool over a white or something, you know, not to mention shoot a fire arrow at him or something. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like I couldn't get one past the others, you know? Like, no matter what, I'm just dead. And that was terrifying. Yeah, that other was probably feeling super confident himself. <laughs> Little did he know that there's no escaping yeah. Sam's clumsiness. Sam well. <laughs> yeah. Sam's like, uh, I got this message for you. Oh, 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 I stabbed you. It seems almost <laughs> accidental. Uh, but I think but I'd I mentioned this. Yeah, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, no. Go. I was going to say, I think we've talked about this before with Sam that's we see him through only his point of view, which yeah. lacks self-esteem to the max. This kid's been beaten down his whole life and thinks of himself as the absolute worst human being on this whole planet. Um, but I, I often wonder how he would look to someone other than himself. Like well, if we were seeing Sam from another POV, we do like get how is early? him? A little bit, a little bit. Uh, and that is early on. But I wonder... Like what Gren was thinking is he Sam made it feel yeah. like it was almost an accident that he yeah. stumbled into this other and killed him. What was Gren seeing? Yeah, maybe or... Gren saw it like this massive man with so much power strided toward the other and jabbed him with a dagger of some metal I didn't understand. You know, like Love it. Love yeah. It. I mean yeah, I mean maybe it's completely up to interpretation. Yeah. Or on the, the fist of the first men when he's talking about out there with his sword drawn and everything. You brought it up in your summary, which I'm glad you did, uh, of Sam being out there. And he was scared to death and he says he didn't know what to do and all of that stuff. But how many others of the Night's Watch didn't were also out do. there with their yeah. swords drawn and they didn't know what to do either? Yeah. What were they thinking? You know, What would someone have thought as they saw Sam? They probably they could have just thought of him as another black brother joining in the fight. And uh, so it's interesting to consider yeah. what it would be like from another pov with sam yeah and for all his complaining about himself not about other people but about himself he sure does kind of know how to soldier on i mean he's been mm-hmm. plodding along for miles in the snow and every second yeah. his brain is saying i can't take another step i can't and yet he keeps moving and he doesn't you know, stop yeah, yeah. You know, he does. It takes a tree root to kind of knock him over, but that's physics, man, when you're heavy. Look, I can account for this. When you're heavy, it's tough to get up when you fall down. (laughs) Give the guy a minute. Uh... Yeah, and it really shows us how big freaking small Paul is. Like, I thought he was big before, but he could cart around Sam for a while. Small Paul's big boy. What were you going to say, Brooke? Oh, it just kind of broke my heart when uh, after Sam killed the the other he's like Ren carry carry all of these daggers I'm still a coward <laughs> yeah <laughs> what right. am I gonna do with these yeah yeah he definitely uh, suffers from some lack of confidence like, it didn't give him like an adrenaline hit of confidence or anything he was just like oh god why however I will say <laughs> well, I, go ahead which would have been yeah. my reaction as well go ahead Matt <laughs> uh, maybe it's the same thing I loved when the, he like laughed maniacally before charging the other 
It said he laughed hysterically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like this is the most comical thing in the world that this is what's happening right now. I, I will say though, and I, I think the I think the readers meant to notice, and I did a poor job in my summary of indicating this, but um, throughout the chapter, George uses the term "sobbing," comma mm-hmm. he took another step, which yeah. which which goes back to you know Frawl is complaining he he kind of did just keep soldiering on, but the very last part of that chapter, instead of the, using the verb "sobbing," he uses the word "grimacing." He took a step, which which I think is meant to indicate that it did maybe give him a little bit of resolve that he killed this other. Grimacing is less than sobbing. Good, it's, good observations. Well, Dan. it's more determined than sobbing mm-hmm. is. Sobbing is fatalistic. It's like bearing down. Yes, yeah. exactly. It's grimacing is, okay, this fucking sucks, but I can do it, right? Right. Whereas sobbing is a little bit more fatalistic. And Good point, Skad. Yeah. I love that. Well, I did read the chapter several times. <laughs> My bad A award for this chapter should go to Sam, and it does, but also to Dywin. Uh-huh. We find out that, you know, while everyone's scrambling to get horses and save their own skins, I mean, one guy even pulled Sam off a horse, right? Sam had a horse initially, and some guy pulled Took him off from so him. he yeah. could get one. Yeah. We we find that Dywin, in all of this chaos, led down five horses by himself, heavy laden with food, oil, torches, all that stuff they need. In the midst of all that, old Dywin got it done for the Night's Watch. So Dywin of the wooden teeth. Well done. Props to him. Five yeah. horses all by himself with the supplies that probably turned out to be life-saving. Yeah. Well done. So, yeah. yeah, he should have definitely gone a different route because he could have used all those supplies for himself. <laughs> <laughs> what a dummy. <laughs> okay, which one of you is uh, freshest? I'll ride on you next. <laughs> Good point, Brooke. Gorging on their Twinkies or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What were you um, going to say, Skin? Oh, mine was... Well, it was just back to the Wildlings. I, I mean, I think this... Despite the fact that they dispatch him, I think this chapter is meant to grab everyone by the neck neck, and say, hey, this is where your attention should be. Reader, hey, these guys are scary, <laughs> right? And they're still you around. Need, yeah. You need to be thinking about these guys. I haven't talked about them for two and a half books, um, but here we are. You need to remember them. This is more like two books, still. Totally. Done and done. Thinking about it. Yeah. Um, scared. Uh, let's move on to Tyrion. That's Brooke. Cripples and bastards and broken things, but the power of the mind can give you wings. Drinking and japing and yeah, ladies. Tyrion, Lannister, or Imp, if you please. Oh, well, okay. So this was such a stacked chapter. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it wasn't, like, jam-packed with action or anything. It was more, like, sticky with dialogue. It was great dialogue, but uh, it was a lot. So I'm going to break it down point form styles. And if I were to give this point form update a headline, it would go like this. That's the headline music. Yeah, it's pretty good. That's It's old now. I don't think they do that anymore, but it's good. Tyrion out of bed. Tywin, still a dick. 
that's the update headline. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone is having a little small council meeting. Tyrion, who stole Pycelle's chair. Pycelle, who looks like crap. Tywin and Kevin. Varys and Littlefinger. Cersei. Mace Tyrell. And some other noobs who Tyrion is a little bit nervous about because he's been out of the game for far too long. Uh, so first up for discussion, a war update. Randall Tarley, who is actually a pretty good commander, has smashed Robert Glover's uh, thousand Northmen outside of Duskendale. They have word that Rob has stopped plundering the West and has holed up in River Run, likely to move north to reclaim Winterfell. More great news. King Balon of the Iron Islands and the North has offered an alliance to King Joffrey. All he wants in return is everything north of the neck. Everyone at the table agrees that there's nothing much good up there, but Tywin says they should sit on the offer. The squids are already fighting the wolves. Why should the crown pay half a kingdom for a fight they're getting for free? Uh, next, something needs to be done about Liza Aaron in the Eyrie. She hasn't come down to swear fealty to Joffrey, and she's a big game piece they can't ignore. Tyrion volunteers to go sort her out with a, a small army, but Tywin has already hatched a cunning scheme that won't lose the men trying to take the veil. Littlefinger, now Lord of Harrenhal, is in need of a wife, and Liza Aaron has tasted Littlefinger's charms before and found them tasty, at least according to Littlefing. Mm-hmm. So with Littlefinger out securing the king's peace, Joffrey needs a new master of coin. Tyrion is voluntold for the position. Uh, next, 300 Dornishmen led by Prince Doran are coming up for the wedding. This is the wedding of Joffrey to Marjorie. Mace Tyrell, oh my god, Mace Tyrell is mightily pissed off about this. There being no love lost between Tyrells and Doran, but Tywin tells him to suck it up. Uh, the small council discusses dividing up the booty and land stripped from lords who back Stannis in the Battle of Blackwater. Mace Tyrell comes out looking real good, but no mention of lands or riches for Tyrion. Varys has reports of an honest-to-God kraken drowning a whaling ship off the fingers, and apparently there is a three-headed dragon in Korth. Maybe we can talk about that a little bit more later, but uh, I think Varys given this report as him being a sly eunuch. We learn that Littlefinger has brought Tywin word of a plot to spirit Sansa Stark off to Highgarden and marry her to Willis Tyrell. Uh, sorry, this is after the small council has been dispersed and Tywin is just talking to Cersei, Tywin, and Kevin. So he mm-hmm. lets them know that Littlefinger has told him that the, uh, the Tyrells are going to take Sansa to Highgarden and marry her to Willis. They all agree that Mace Tyrell, that if Mace Tyrell asks to bring Sansa to Highgarden, they can't deny him to avoid the insult. There's just too many Highgarden loyals on the small council now and in power since the battle. So the only choice is to stall the potential request to bring Sansa to Highgarden with more weddings. Tywin gives Cersei some sweet choices to... uh, get her all shacked up again, (laughs) not at all putting up with her refusals. And Willis Tyrell, the crippled hair to Highgarden, is top of the list. This does not excite Cersei in the least. She has no interest in uh, 
playing with puppies or sailing out on the river with with Willis. She is, in her eyes, the queen regent and totally above being married off like a broodmare. But uh, if she does end up with Willis, that'll leave Sansa without a match. But guess who's single? Tyrion. Hey! Tywin makes sure to list all of the failed bride options he's tried for Tyrion in the past, including Liza Aaron, uh, some chick from Dorne, some chick from the Royces, some chick from the High Towers, even the Florent chick, King Robert deflowered in Stannis' marriage bed. She comes up again and points out that Sansa is a great option, probably the best that Tyrion will ever have. Um, and the alternative is lollies. So it's Sansa or lollies. That's uh, what Tyrion has to work with there. So Tyrion is going to marry Sansa but reminds Tywin of Rob's impending nuptials to a fertile fray. But as we know, and as Tywin now knows, Rob has gone and married Jane Westerling. And Tyrion's reaction to this dumbassery is great. He's like, (laughs) he's shocked silent. He's like, but that's so stupid. (laughs) And uh, that's it. Uh, Tyrion never actually moves from his little pillowed seat. Uh, for this whole entire chapter, but we get just a crap load of interesting intel at the small council meeting. Who boy. Yeah, pretty awesome. Mm. Varys had reported a kraken off of the East Coast, a three-headed dragon in Corps. And everybody's like, okay, that's enough. Also, um, he, I didn't mention in my summary, but... Um, he also had reports that the wildlings were getting really frisky up above the wall. Everyone's like, krakens, dragons, wildlings, we don't need to know. <laughs> um, but Varys probably very well knows what's going on with Dandy and her dragons on the other side of the sea. Why would he be feeding the small council like these really ridiculous reports, like a three-headed dragon? And does that totally discount the report of the Kraken? Because I hope not, because that would be excellent. Well, I was going to say two of the three of those are pretty much true, right? The three-headed dragon, of course, being Danny's. Um, yeah, but why did he three-headed? Make, but but why did he make it a three-headed dragon? Because he could have very easily right. been like the uh, last remaining heir to the Targaryen, you know, legacy has actually hatched three dragons, and that that might have like perked people up. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if this goes into dad territory or not. I, I don't think so. But I think he's he equi- he equivocates the the wildlings and the dragons with a kraken sighting uh, to make them less believable. To to kind of give the two that are true less credence. If it two truths and a lie. Uh, yeah, a little no. bit. No, why are you taking this away from me? I really want there to be a kraken. Oh, no. there's totally a kraken, Brooke. That's what I meant. There, I meant they're all three true, and he's just using his best acting skills to uh, make them seem not important. Mm. But to 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 what you're saying, that Brooke, was sarcasm. Yeah, <laughs> you have to think that Varys knows that the way he's presenting this information, it was going to get dismissed. I like think that's what I meant to say. That's what I meant to say. Well so, done, like, Matt. He's just... He's just covering his butt. Yeah, like, he um, has reported the information, but it's you know it's totally up to the small council. Whether or not I said it, you guys it. didn't believe me. Yeah, yeah, it's two it's two pieces of information that the crown absolutely should be acting on. That he's tonally and along with pairing it with a kraken 
making seem less important than it really right. is. Well, that way, if more reports come in about Danny's dragons from other sources, these oh, guys yeah, can say, the dragons. Oh, yeah. We heard about Ferris that. Ferris told us about yeah. that. It's no big deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I find it interesting that the Kraken was sighted on the East Coast, where the fingers are, and mm-hmm. not on the West Coast, where the Iron Isles are. The Iron mm-hmm. Islands are, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Like, are they all over the place, or... Yeah. Which maybe lends to the unbelievableness of the account to mm. negate the other two accounts. On the West Side, or on the East Side, what? Wait, what? If you just said yeah. West Side, I might have believed that. And it was found in a cave with an old pirate ship. Uh-huh. Goonies, guys, come on. Yes. <sighs> Never mm. mind. Yeah. Well, so, like, there's no kraken in that, though. There's no. There's an octopus. Oh. In well, in one version there is. Right. Which version you watch? Mm. Most most versions cut out that octopus that uh, Data gets rid of with a singing videotape. Yes. Oh, I don't think I've seen that version. Oh, you should Google it. <laughs> I will. It's awful. I mean, the fact that they cut it is. You know, applaudable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, whoever you are, editor, man. Um, I love the fact that they just kind of ignore the, all of the Ironborn pleas. Hey, want to partner up? Eh, no. Eh, eh. Yeah. Yeah. They're just not well, into her either. It's yeah. a good point that Tywin's making is that their main enemy is Rob right now. And right now, Balon is causing a bit of stress for Rob. Yeah. So let him continue to do what he's going to do, and let's not tire ourselves down to him. Yeah, and that extends to the wall, <laughs> amazingly. He's like, eh, let it fall. What do I care? It's just going to be yeah. more people to fight the North. Yeah. Of course, I think uh, given the chapter we just watched unfold, I think he's thinking of wildlings and not others. Oh, for sure. <laughs> but he's like, yeah, what do I care? Uh, savage wildlings, savage northmen, I don't care. Just let them coexist up there. Right. It was Keep them on the back of Rob's mind. Yeah. yeah. It was great that Tyrion, though, did want to send at least some of the deserters to the yes. wall. Mm-hmm. He hasn't forgotten. Yeah, and he fought a little bit for that. I mean, not a lot, but a little bit. A little bit. Hashtag never forget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Get on him. Mm. Good on him. Yeah, good for Tyrion, remembering. Um, I think Varys fights for it too, doesn't he? Doesn't he also say, why not send him up there? I think so, maybe. Uh, yeah. Oh, I don't remember that. Actually, I think Varys says it first, and then Tywin says, no, break their knees. And then Tyrion says, well, we can just break the knees of a couple, and then send the yeah. rest of them up. And then he says, no, all of them, which is Tywin at his best. Mm-hmm. Let's just break their knees, and then everyone will remember. Hey, you cross us. This is, you know, this is what happens. Uh huh. Well, he is effective. He is very effective. So apparently, it was Littlefinger's idea to make Tyrion the new master of coin. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing at this point. Well, I think I think it makes sense for Tyrion to suspect him. He doesn't trust Littlefinger, nor should he. Uh, Littlefinger himself, if you remember back in way back in the Game of Thrones, tells Ned himself not to trust Littlefinger, and I don't mm-hmm. think Tyrion can either. Um, yeah, I don't think Tyrion should trust him. I, I, the part that I found interesting in this chapter, and it, it ties in a little bit with the Master of Coin thing, goes back to the bride thing, which is when he when he's offered an option to get out, whether it's Sansa or someone else, 
He just thinks, oh, yeah, maybe that's just what I need. Somebody with a keep somewhere where I can just have a few servants and get away and and live and be away from all this. I get th- this is where my headcanon for him comes from. That he just wants to get away from all this craziness where he has all these expectations. And yet, and yet, the flip side is we all saw him last book be so effective at a role similar to Master of Coin, less powerful actually, or, sorry, more powerful than Master of Coin. Um, where he's super effective at running the city. So I think he could be very good at Master of Coin. Yes, and he's very fulfilling for him to do that. It's fulfilling for us as readers to see him doing it. Like, look at this guy be so successful. And when I read this partially, I'm like, yeah, Master of Coin, he could do that. And then you listen to his thoughts like, oh, it'd be nice to get away to a little property somewhere where I just had a wife and I could be away. That's where my head can for me. Yeah, a little Mm -hmm. bit of Hot Pie-like. Yeah, fair enough. Ooh. Can we jump into Davos After Dark so that we can continue talking about this without spoiling? Uh, we can. Is there anything else you guys had on this? I, I had a moment where I went um, in this chapter where I went, I thought of something and then I went, <laughs> sometimes I think crazy things. Well, and that was, I was wondering if Tywin, with this proposal for Sansa, was actually trying to give Tyrion a chance to escape what he thinks is this destructive behavior, which is his whoring and stuff like that. If he was trying to give Tyrion an out by marrying him to Sansa and actually like in some way trying to help Tyrion. And then help himself. Sometimes (laughs) I think crazy things. That's cute. Yeah. Very nice. Very, very thoughtful, man. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Anyways. Uh, Okay. So, uh, we're now going to enter Davos After Dark because Brooke really wants to discuss Tyrion counting coppers. Uh, and so we're going to go into Davos After Dark, which uh, means next time, for those that are stopping here, we're going to be covering chapters 20 through 24. That's Catelyn 3, Jaime, or Jamie 3, Arya 4, <laughs> Danny 2, and Bran 2. So everybody drop off now if you don't want to be spoiled. Otherwise, we're moving on. Cue music. Davos after dark. Okay, so I just wanted to say, um, I never picked up on it before, but Tywin did give Tyrion the option of marrying Lollis. Yeah, Lollis. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and Tyrion was like, I'd rather cut my cock off or something. It was yeah. something like really like over the top and dramatic. Yeah. But that's exactly what Bronn has yeah. gotten out of out of marrying Lollis. It's yes. like his own little keep. <laughs> he he took care of her big sister. <laughs> in the worst way possible yeah murder um, yeah. yeah well the murder of her husband and then oh i thought he murdered was, her a, did that not happen? no it was a duel no she went to cersei to like complain about Bronn taking over their estate and cersei's like here kyburn will help you i got just the guy for you to talk <laughs> yeah. to about that <laughs> so hysterical kyburn will will give you something to calm down and then <laughs> cersei's like hey can um Oh, I can't remember what her name is. Could she still? Could she still talk? Could she still give testimony? And he's like, "Oh no, she's, <laughs> yeah, she can't herself anymore." Oh, that's funny. I mean, not yeah. funny. It's tragic. Yeah, it's it's, anyway. it's Kyburn funny. Yeah, <laughs> it's its own very dark humor. Yeah, yeah, very much. But uh, yeah, if 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 Tyrion had bit on on that little the law, the lawless bait. 
yeah, and the lawless joking bait, if he'd really gone for it, he would have had exactly what he wanted. Yeah. But would he, he wouldn't have been satisfied for very long, I don't imagine. But I don't like know. I, that's what I wonder about. That's where my headcanon goes with him. I... Yeah, I think he'd be okay for like a a fortnight or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. People always say that to me. Like, uh, like I always say, like, if, look, if I could get a buy without working, I would absolutely do it. I have plenty of things I want to do with my time. And they're like, you would miss it. You need that kind of thing, that, that kind of motivation and inspiration to to keep you know doing something new i'm like i really don't (laughs) i wonder about Tyrion whether he does or doesn't i feel like there's enough there are enough books in the world that Tyrion could be happy never worrying about politics again i really feel that way it's highs and lows do you want to be high and super low like in fucking jail or do you just want to be happy with willis reading and cuddling your dogs you know, I I agree with you. If I could not work, that would be fine. <laughs> I do. I would miss the social aspect of it. But... You can get that social aspects many places, like hosting a podcast with your friends. There you go. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on. Davos after dark. Uh, Sansa. So this is a question I asked during the podcast, which you guys do 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 at me. Uh, we know that Littlefinger spirits Sansa away. We know that the Tyrells know of that plot to murder Joff and spirit Sansa away, or I think we do. Uh, so what is Marjorie doing if she knows that Sansa's not going to Highgarden in the end anyway? Or do you think, or do you think Littlefinger has a separate plot to get Sansa out, and that he actually promised that Sansa would go to Highgarden with them if they murdered Joff? I don't even know if it was brought up. Hmm. See, that's the thing is, is I think Marjorie still maybe wants uh, Sansa to go to Highgarden. Mm. Maybe not for the altruistic reasons that she's saying. Uh, You're right. I think I'm... it would be very politically beneficial for a couple reasons, but I guess I was assuming that part of Peter's take was Sansa. That he's like, look, okay, I can try to organize this whole thing. I can get Sansa through my pawns. To get to you to get sorry through my pawns to get her to help you plant that hairnet and get this whole thing uh-huh. in, in action, but in yes. return I get Sansa. Maybe that's I, I was be. assuming that. Yeah, it's I realize now that that's an assumption I've been making. Maybe that's not true. You're proposing right. it isn't. Brooke, what do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to remember if this was a quote or something I made up in my head, but Littlefinger's always been flexible, so I've been like, I'll go with the flow. He'll, you know, he's always got a backup plan for backup plans. He's so. certainly adaptable, yeah. Yeah, so if it was just a happy outcome of adaptability, but, I mean, we do know that he planned for the Dantos boat, so. Right. Yeah, but it doesn't and mean he, he told the, tar- the Tyrells about that, though. Exactly. I, and maybe I'm completely up uh, up a creek on this one. I've just got been That's working on a bad assumption. That the, the, the Tyrells have their plans for Sansa, Littlefinger has his plans for Sansa, the two don't know about those plans. Well, Littlefinger obviously finds out. And Cersei um, has her own plans for Sansa. Right. Or That's, that answers does. the uh, the wedding dress question. Um, you think that's her wedding dress that question. she's making? It absolutely is. We find mm-hmm. that out in the next chapter. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I guess that And so sense. that's that's where chrono- chr- chronology What's that, gets a little weird in this chapter. Chronology, the study of uh, time order of events. Yes, thank you, <laughs> Professor Scad. 
<laughs> I totally Her... made that up. That might, might not be what it is. <laughs> I, totally I, I like believed it. You. Right. Yeah, well, but, unbelievable. Um, Acting. So, Cersei, we think, finds out about the uh, Willis-Sansa thing in the Tyrion chapter that happens after the Sansa chapter. So my thought would be that after she finds out that Sansa is going to marry Tyrion, that's when she starts having the dress commission. Mm. Which yeah. would mean that the chronologically, the Tyrion chapter comes before the Sansa chapter. Damn you, George. Just but. right about the same time. Like, I don't think that there's there's any sort of, like, Cersei knew beforehand or, or anything, right. like, devious like that. You think she commissioned a dress for Joffrey's wedding and they just used it for Sansa's? No, because the dressmaker even says when Sansa's like, is this for yeah. the wedding? The dressmaker's like, oh no, it'll be done way before that. The queen says so. So well, It'll be for something. And she says some other fu- things that are like... Eh, yeah, yeah, look. she's she's yeah. very coy and arch about it. Mm. So I think it, yeah, I think this is just a matter of things are happening at the same time. Multiple POV characters, so they've right. got to they've got to stack it somehow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. Um, Scads uh, <laughs> just misled. Let's move just on. Settle down, Scads. Just settle down, Scads. But but it does I'm, it I'm does just, have hey, some I'm interesting. Even <laughs> it does have some really interesting implications for Willis marrying Sansa, like. The Tyrells are very, well, I, I wouldn't say all of them, but uh, Olena in particular seems very isolationist. Did you guys get that feeling? Like she doesn't really care too much for alliances and, you know, hoster tullying her way around things. Um, but having Willis marry Sansa kind of gives, uh, like I kind of mentioned in the regular part of the cast, it kind of gives a, a hostage. Is, to the Tyrells, switching that hostage from Cersei to the Tyrells, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that they could use either way. Uh, if the if Rob wins, right? It's uh, they have they can use the sister to negotiate their position with Rob in the New Kingdom, yeah. right? Um, if Rob's defeated, they have a claim to Winterfell. Which, like I just said, Olena might not be incredibly interested in, but it might not be bad to have. Why do you think she's not interested? I think she's. I think she. I I think she's into that game. I kind of get the feeling that Olena's not too into, and maybe that's just a feeling I get that she's kind of more, just wants to remain in her beautiful reach and beautiful high garden, and she's not too interested in in marrying out and getting all these families involved and stuff like that. Is she devious? Yes, but I feel like she does it just more for her own family's sake rather than trying to spread out and take over places and stuff like that. I mean, the Tyrells have, from what we're seeing, they've never been too interested in marrying out and stuff like that, at least in this generation of Tyrells. Well, I think they're very interested in expansion. I mean, they've mm-hmm. beco- they've become the most powerful family in the Reach. Uh, I think the Mace Towers. is. And, I think Mace is. Oh, I think they all are. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the big decisions though have been driven by Elena because yeah. mm-hmm. we get a real good look at it, just how like shrewd Mace is during this High Council meeting. Very, very shrewd, right? Yeah, yeah. Like he keeps <laughs> on, he keeps on. Uh, oh, just leave that old <laughs> woman over in the Vale alone. She has no stomach for war. Yeah, or predicting what Rob will do next, because that's what I would do. Yeah, 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 yeah. I noted that too. Yeah, he's an itch. Yeah, he and even by Lena's own admission, her son is a moron. 
Yeah. So, An oaf. Yeah. I, I think, yeah. I think, uh, I don't know, I don't know that she's like, uh, I don't remember the exact words you used, Matt. I, I don't know that she's like ambitious, but I think she's very much into the game and knows that she has to play it for her family's sake. And is there for her family's it. sake is key. Yes. Yeah, yeah, but what's the difference? Everyone's doing it for their family's sake. I mean, uh, I, I just, I, I think, yeah, I, I think she's very much involved in all these decisions. I yeah, I definitely agree. She's the final word. Yeah, probably as much as Mace wants to be. All right, should we move on to Arya? I think this could be a quick one. The mud dream. Oh my God, there's still <laughs> another chapter. Oh. Oh my god, what am I thinking? Oh my god, it's yeah. still Davos After Dark, Brooke. Davos After Dark, yes. Great. The Mud Dream. The Mud Dream. I don't, I don't think this is that complex. Um, I don't know if anyone's got anything more deeper to add. Uh, she's struggling to get to Winterfell. The further she goes, the harder each step gets. Uh, eventually it just completely fades away to mist or smoke or something. And she's surrounded by wolves. Uh, is that a fair summary? Yeah. Any, anything, I mean, let's see. It seems like she's being told, you're not getting there. You got other things that are going to go on. The part that I haven't, I agree, uh, as hard as she tries, she's actually making this it harder new on life her that she's chosen. She, uh, she's making it harder on herself. <laughs> chosen. We've talked about before this, this identity that Arya is slowly taking on. Um, that's actually making her a little bit less Starkish in a way. I don't know. Uh, the only thing I can't wrap my head around is the wolves at the end of the dream. Yeah. Do you have an interpretation for that? The gaunt wolves that she saw. Couldn't quite figure that out. What what I those... what I thought was that the fact that they're gaunt was telling. I, I don't mm-hmm. know this. It's just a fucking guess more than anything. Gaunt means they're thin and that they're hungry. And they're right. circling her because they're looking for any any sort of stark around like leadership yes mm-hmm. yeah so so the the gaunt gray shapes the wolves are actually maybe uh liege lords of the starks um northerners in general yeah, yeah. looking Something for like someone that. to lead them yeah like yeah S- yeah starving for stark leadership or stark mm. identities yeah but i don't know that's a stretch I don't know. I didn't read too much into it. She's been having too many wolf dreams. Okay. <laughs> let's. Uh, okay. Uh, we're running a little bit short on time. Uh, let's get to you guys. You guys pick. Either we can review Tywin Lannister's letter writing campaign uh, regarding the war, or we can talk others. Where do you want to go? There's honestly not a whole lot more we can say about others that wouldn't be speculation. It'd be fun speculation. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the other point we had was uh, just about uh, – it, it was your speculation, Brooke makes a good Matt, point about, about their culture. Yeah, Brooke made some points about the culture. You talked about how – why they didn't just jump in and kill them all because it does oh, – it did yeah. feel to me too like they could just ride in and waste these guys at any point. What are they waiting for? Yeah, it almost felt like they were herding them away. Well, here, yeah, here, here's the thing. It's like Sam's, Sam's – describing in agonizing detail how long it takes him to make one step and yet mm-hmm. we're told the others can walk on the snow they're not trying to catch up right. they're they're trying to be a menace and be there to intimidate and drive them to keep walking 
but it doesn't seem like they're out to kill them. Right? Yeah, they could have easily annihilated the whole crew, right? And they didn't. And that strikes me as odd. Yeah. There's the theory out there that the others are kind of the good guys and that this whole thing, them is this them trying to get their lands back that these darn humans took away from them. I don't know if I subscribe to that completely, but it's interesting to consider well, the other side of this. Definitely some, some motivation for not just the full attack. Yeah, like, right. Yeah, probably it's probably gonna when we find out what it is, it's probably gonna lead to their weakness. You know, another weakness other mm. than dragon mm-hmm. glass. Like that would a, be cool. Like a like a Death Star energy generator or whatever. You know, that <laughs> one strike. A star killer base. Yeah. And that's where Benjen is right now. He's out scouting that out and figuring it out. Mm. There's always a way. Um <laughs> I, I, so I, I think I said that once. Not not that it's my theory. I don't. I don't. To our listeners, I'm not claiming to have been the one that came up with this theory about others being the good guys. I think I said that once jokingly. I don't know about good guys, but I, like they're just. There's be- no good guys in this story. Right? That's what. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. They're just beings with a perspective. They have their own wants yeah, and needs. Motivations yeah, and, with motivations, yeah. just like George usually writes. And yeah, maybe that's part of it too. Brooke, you're kind of hypothesizing the opposite that that they're actually just. Maybe they're bad. I don't. You didn't say this really, but maybe they're bad and they're just afraid because there's a star killer base out out there pointed at them and they don't want to enrage it. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, there's something. There's something more to it. There's because they could easily have ridden them down. Unless there's only five of them, and to be clear, we don't know how many there are. Unless there are only five of them, they could have run them down and murdered the Night's Watch. Well, here's the th- what tells me that they probably have something to protect is that they have recognizable weapons and also mm-hmm. armor so like mm-hmm. culture the, yeah you're, you're getting you're getting yeah. they have some sort so, of society or yeah you know. somebody has to make that armor somebody has to forge that sword and yeah there's probably a large magic component to it but they're it, it just it just speaks to me of maybe at some point they were you know, of human origin or had some ties to humanity or maybe they influenced humanity or something. There's, there's, they're definitely not just wild beasts slaying humans and turning them into their undead army, right? They have a lot of intelligence and this mm-hmm. just backs it up. I wouldn't say definitely, but I'd put it at like 90, 90%. Yeah. To Scad's point, I actually really yeah, like the comparison you made to Legolas, Scad of the elves and humans in Tolkien's verse uh, in Middle Earth. It kind of makes sense in regards to the others and humans as well, potentially. Mm. It's all perspective. Related, but not. I mean, know. if... if <laughs> <laughs> the victors write history, right? So if, if, Sauron had, if Sauron had won, what what would the orcs have written about the elves? They would have right. written that they were <laughs> fucking others. <laughs> that walked on the snow and fired yeah. arrows at ungodly pace and had incredible athleticism. I mean, it's it's all about your perspective. And I'm not saying they're good guys. I'm not saying that. I, I just, yeah, I'm with Brooke. I, it seems to me more than likely that they're sentient beings with real motivations. Yep. And culture totally. and, and all of that. And, you know, in in 19 years when we finally get... Dream of Spring. <laughs> we know the truth. <laughs> we can all laugh back at how dumb I was for saying it. But 
the three of us will all be laughing at ourselves then. Oh, yes. We'll I eventually find out. Yep, yep, Someday. Yep. All right. Uh, we're we're about it at at, uh, at two hours. You guys want to go into Tywin Lannister real quick or no? I'm okay with it. Uh, I'm yeah, trying I'm to think good. of other times for it. The Red Wedding episode, we'd get into it. But... We could. We could go back and do a retrospective on it, or we could cover it now. Either way. I'm cool with it. All right. Letter writing campaign. Um, the way I see it, uh, at least at least two that we know of right now, regard to, and, and from my perspective, it's to Bolton telling him to go sacrifice his men at Duskendale, and mm-hmm. also to Sybil Spicer telling her to have her daughter seduce Rob Snow uh, and marry him. Rob Stark. Sorry, Rob Stark. Yes. Hmm. I had a little bit different perspective, is I wonder if Sibelle sent the initial letter off to Tywin. Oh, saying, interesting. Hey, I've I got, got this guy Rob. here. Yeah. yeah, that probably makes a little more sense. Hmm. I can do this. I've got a daughter. I can make this happen. Um, hoping for something. Knowing that the crag, the crag's one of the most impoverished houses now, they need something, and hoping for a generous reward from Tywin for doing so. It works either way. Yeah, well, we talked about like the circumstances surrounding them actually hooking up and how how like crazy it is that that actually ended up happening because there's there should be so many people putting themselves in the way. Where the fuck is the great John? Yeah, a right. maiden and and overall young king. Like, yeah. so I can see her mother taking great steps to get them alone, to make sure that Jane is the only one treating Rob's wounds, this sort of thing. Right, and maybe Jane, she kind of pressured Jane into initially going into it like that, like saying, you know, we are surrounded by our enemies. They could kill us at any time and they'd probably we'd probably be in for a bit of rape too before it all happened you need to do this for the good of our family type oh thing. yeah and then point. jane oh, yeah. uh, but i'm not saying that jane is you know i i don't think she can pull it off from especially uh the jamie chapter and is it a feast for crows or dan it's a feast for crows where she meet where he sees jane and jane's mom or he sees sabelle uh at river run and jane is just defiant at her mother right she's got a scab on her head from when she wouldn't remove rob's crown or the yep. crown rob gave her and sabelle had to force it off of her head it appears to me that jane wasn't up to the task of being the seductress that she actually did fall for rob well um, but maybe the intentions at the beginning were not so she wasn't as in love right? no i i think i don't think it had anything to do with jane uh they they say in the community theater circuit that 90 percent of the director's job is getting the right cast and mm-hmm. Jane is the right cast. Sybil, all she had to do was put the pawns in place and sure. get and, and get Jane in the well room. And she knew Jane would fall for this heroic. She knows her daughter. She's going to fall for this heroic leader of men. And maybe she didn't know Rob, but she figured that he would fall for this as well. Or she knew that the Starks were honorable. Maybe that's maybe that's giving too much credit, but probably she just knew enough that things would take place. That's my guess the pieces in place let them move that's very possible as well interesting though about her sending the letter first i hadn't thought of that Uh, it could work either way i I, the only quibble i'd have is timing but 
I never know how long it takes a damn raven to fly from here to there. I don't know how long Rob was there at the crag or how long she'd have had to plan this. Yeah, uh, it's time is timing is weird. Hard uh, to an guess. interesting little thing that I picked up from what Kevin said. Uh, Kevin Lannister mentions that when Sybil got married, the Spicers were not their new house. They have yep. no uh, sort of hold on anything. They're a merchant in house. Terms of reputation and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, they got rich purely based on good business. And um, he said that if it weren't for Gawain Westerling's honor, uh, the the marriage would have never happened in the first place. Whoa, so that kind of did Sibel seduce Gawain at some point, and he did the same thing that Rob and Jane did and ended up marrying her out of honor too. I missed that That's somehow. interesting to think about. It's just one little sentence that he says, and I'm extrapolating all that from that. But um, Could be right. And why bring up the, the Maggie too? Mm-hmm. Oh, what's the significance there? Yeah, it's almost our Chris Farley uh, seemed extraneous at the time kind of thing. Given given what we know happens with the with the the magi later, with Cersei, the Spicers, it's a really interesting house. Yeah, very. Uh, anything else to add? We skipped over the Bolton thing, I, I think, because we feel like it's obvious and we've talked about it before. Um, but essentially, we think that Tywin wrote to Roose and said, "Hey, you get the North, just help me out, buddy." And step one of that is uh, send your men off to die. We're gonna trap them on the coast. Yeah. The interesting thing that I'll, the one point I'll make about this, and I can't remember if we've made it before, but the primary forces that went to Duskendale. Yeah. If we sock in our mappas, and we read the, so the, uh, the Carewinds, the Glovers, the Hornwoods, the Carstarks, and the Tallhearts are all areas that are, are all plate, all come from areas that are immediately surrounding close to Winterfell, with exception to the, um, Karstarks, which are on the other side of where Roose Bolton is. So the Dreadfort's between Carhold and Winterfell. So you can see Roose taking out the leadership of houses that are loyal to the Starks and would be potential threats to him in the north. Uh, that's fascinating that Roose has taken his orders from Tywin here, but he's also putting the pieces into play very strategically of which people he's going to take out. Yeah, it's basically everybody but his own damn kids and family um, <laughs> right around the Starks. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's uh, Brennan B. Fish, our, our good friend, friend of the, of the cast, has has an excellent write-up on all this. Um, that we've, we've linked it before, but um, in any event, yeah, it's... Oh, yeah, the one that discusses uh, Tywin Lannister's yeah. battles. Mm-hmm. Yep. strategy and analysis of him as a commander yeah, yeah that's a really good one yeah so yeah i mean it's it's pretty clever from from bolton who he sends and good on him and it, it's pretty clear mm-hmm. too he's in in the Tyrion chapter when when <laughs> when tywin kind of very uh coyly says a better option might present itself <laughs> pretty clear he's yeah. actually talking about Bolton who has already presented himself uh, right but yeah and then of course we got the phrase in there too the They're phrase the letter writing campaign yeah we just don't know anything about it yet I don't think from that chapter do we uh, yeah not from that chapter but no nope. yeah. but uh, definitely going on the phrase went in on marrying some Lannisters and all that oh yeah. Get it. oh yeah they are lots of Lannisters lots of phrase around very fertile houses all right, should we move on to our sign-off? Okay. And it's a school night, too. Jeez. Man, it's a late one. 
All right. Uh, thanks, everybody. Uh, glad to be back after our little holiday break. This is Brooke signing off saying, that's not how the force works. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Mine's in the same vein. Oh, no. This is Matt. This is Matt signing off, reminding you that it's true. All of it. The dark side, the Jedi, they're real. And keeping it in that vein, some advice to Tyrion about hiding things from Shay or the Brotherhood hiding things from Arya or virtually anyone in Gurm's world hiding anything from any female in that world. Advice from the venerable Han Solo. Women always figure out the truth. <laughs> always let it be known guys that we did not coordinate this at all listeners it just happened it that just our happened quotes all that we did three star wars, star wars and separate ones that would have been embarrassing had we duplicated like wearing the same outfit to a party <laughs> uh embarrassing for anyone else awesome for us <laughs> all right so with that hang on because hang on if you want our analysis of the force awakens an analysis may be liberal it's an analysis (laughs) (laughs) analysis good night if you're interested in some finger bickering and stuff like that you'll find it there the new segment films get fingered good night everybody good night night. films get films get films get films get fingered Listen, Scad, I respect your opinion, but I'm going to go for the experts first here. Matt. <laughs> oh, fuck you. He wrote on the Wookiee Wiki. Fuck you, Diddles. He wrote on the Wookiee Wiki. So what'd you think? Uh, you, you've earned my silence. <laughs> Wait, who's the expert? What I wanted. <laughs> you are. <laughs> Anyone can write on Wikipedia. Okay. Okay, but. Anyone. But how often do their articles stand the test of time? What were your first impressions? Loved it. Yeah? I was, I was worried on your behalf. Absolutely. One, 99% loved it. Wow. That's great. That's absolutely so loved it. Nice. I felt like a kid again. Uh, it felt like a Star Wars movie. The characters were wonderful. People complain that they need to be fleshed out more. Screw that. It's an opening film in a series of three. They'll be fleshed out. Uh, great I, story. If you watch like A New Hope, they are best friends within 20 minutes. Like exactly. it, it is, that is the, the rhythm of these movies. The people that complain, like you, that's exactly what I thought. Is like, have you ever watched a new Star Wars A New Hope? Like, really? Have you ever watched Star Wars A New Hope? Okay, okay. <laughs> Anyways. That's um, also how I justify Carrie Fisher's acting. Like, well, <laughs> she was never very good. So, <laughs> what were we expecting on this one? Harrison Ford was fantastic. Oh, man. Uh, the, the three kids were wonderful. Um, I loved it. I loved all the callbacks to the original Star Wars I didn't care at all that it in ways mimicked and mirrored the original story. Didn't even care. Um, there's a couple little things. How many Death Star type things can you make? But whatever. It was still cool. It was it was a beautiful weapon, though. Like all of like the shots where they really pulled out on the planet and the, the, yeah. the red beams of light. And yeah. Will you apologize to Scad now so that he can talk? Oh, my God. <laughs> 
Listen, Scad, how many Star Wars novels have you read? This is my reasoning here. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> well, here's here's my question back to that question. How many of the Star Wars novels that Matt read count anymore? I know. Ow. You shut your mouth. You <laughs> shut your mouth. Yeah. They're all just I'll answer my own question. Don't, the same don't number that I read that count. It. Zero. Don't say it. They count to me. I've said this before. They are my canon. Fat old stupid toy producing Disney can't tell me what is and isn't canon. Well, just remember that the stupid Disney universe is my that, canon. That stupid Disney was the one putting that smile on your face and making you feel like a ten year old. So just remember that as you absolutely. Curse them. Absolutely, but they can't tell me what is and isn't canon. Well, they can as the soon as Star they Wars... rewrite it and make things that you believe invalid. <laughs> now you're just trying to egg me on. I am and I'm not. Uh, it's it's the truth. There are things that they did in this movie probably that invalidate some things that you consider canon from those books. Absolutely, and that's why I consider it non-canon for me. It's just another telling of Star Wars that's fun, and I really enjoyed it. Oh, 99% enjoyed it, absolutely loved it, but it is non-canon to me. These movies are non-canon? Absolutely. My, <laughs> my canon, God! my personal Matt Thacker canon in my head is the Star Wars Expanded Universe. It's so, what I've grown up with for 20 years, So Matt, it is my canon. When does your fan fiction novel come out? <laughs> has nothing to do with it you you have to continue on with this canon because i'm sure will the expanded universe be abandoned or like what's oh, yeah, gonna happen it's there done. it's already oh, abandoned. Yeah? yeah it's done holy cow they, yeah, yeah they well, came out and said it better get written man they call it the, uh, abandoned it's is fine. too strong they call it legends which is kind of what yeah. matt's saying they, they consider it a a different set of stories that are nice but not real and that's fine. They There's 50-some-odd books in the expanded universe. I am perfectly fine with it being as it is. I'm not interested in continuing it or perpetuating it. It's just fine the way it is, and it is my canon. My personal Matt Thacker canon is the expanded universe in my head. Sounds good. Keep, keep at that's it, man. It. Keep at it. Okay. Uh, well. uh, Scad, what do you think? Oh, uh, was it time for the plebeians to weigh in? Yeah, noob. Tell us what you tell us what you liked about it. <laughs> noob, listen. <laughs> Holy fuck! <laughs> you I know will... what? In truth, Scad has probably been a fan of Star Wars longer than I have. Oh, fuck you with the age stuff. Because of the age. <laughs> well, and I didn't get into Star Wars till I was like ten years old. No, me too. It was uh, me too. It was, it was delayed for me. Um. Uh, I I I loved it. I saw it a second time uh, this past past weekend, so like seven days ago or whatever. I liked it a little bit less on the second watching, but but not 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 I think for any sort of film reason, just because the initial excitement was gone and my my sure. it, my ten year old reaction, if you will, was had been spent. Right, I I came all over the place, and now it was just a movie. <laughs> Uh, does that belong in a movie review? I'm sorry. Um, you your load and then... <laughs> and then, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. If no, ten-year-old me did do that, then that's yeah. It's um, an apt description. 
I, I went and saw it a second time with my wife, and I liked it. I liked it less, but it, but it wasn't it wasn't really for for really any any movie reasons. I, I think uh, somebody said it best on um, on uh, I, I watched a uh, an episode of uh, of Jedi Council Collider. They're on YouTube. You guys can find them. I think I've referenced them before, but um, where where they say you know the film had problems, but they just had film problems. They didn't have Star Wars problems. They didn't have problems that make the films non-Star Wars-like. And that's the thing. That That's honestly... Here's... Oh, jeez. How deep do I want to go? The original this, trilogy had yeah, film problems, too. So. Yeah, absolutely it did. Tons of them. And and this one did, too. It had lots of them. And uh, we don't need to go into them, really, because I, I don't want it to detract from how, how great an effort was put forth. But they brought in J.J. Abrams. I, I, missed, I missed the thing I was going to quote. So... The guy on on uh, Jedi Council said that it had it had uh, film problems, but not Star Wars problems. It had it didn't have problems that took you away from the Star Wars universe. It didn't have you have problems where you thought this isn't a Star Wars movie. Everything in that movie felt Star Wars, aided perhaps by the fact that they called back to the original like a billion times, and also even the <laughs> plot was from the original. Yeah. It it helped a lot in making it feel like a Star Wars movie, but you know what? That's why they brought Abrams in. Abrams is good at popcorn. He's good at visuals. He's good at telling a a, a story and getting some very key points in there. Is he great at subtlety? Is he great at movie storytelling that's dramatic and 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 moving the needle? In my opinion, no. I don't think that he is. I think all his stuff is very, uh, it's very pop based, if you will. Well, he, but he, that's he what this lot, series he needed. A lot of fan service. Too. Yes, like, yeah, he, he knows he did. what people will but, want, and he's not going to deviate from that. But so, that's what this series good, needed also, for this for this film. That's what this needed. Yeah, not as risk taking as it as but, the original ones were. But I'll say this: I'm glad. I'm glad the series is now in Ryan Johnson's hands. I want my Empire Strikes Back. I don't. I don't want what we just got. I love what we just got. I love it, but I don't want what we just got for the second film. Well, I want something that progresses. The original trilogy has very. Di- each film has very distinct feels right? and tones. Yeah, and absolutely. I agree. Yeah, yeah, and and if they don't do that, then I think they'd be doing uh, Star Wars a disservice. Yeah, agreed. Mm-hmm. And and I felt. Uh, I didn't feel just just episode four in this film either. I felt six too. I thought this lent, this uh, lended from Jedi or borrowed rather from Jedi as well. And um, sure. but anyway, I I love the film. I, I don't mean to I don't mean to discount it. I I was a giddy child as well. Loved it. Um, the plebeian vote is in. It's positive. <laughs> Well, here's another plebeian vote. Let's get the Brooke thought. Yeah. No, I loved it, too. I I thought it was just... Here's where I would disagree. I think it did have... I thought it was an excellent film. Just so well-paced, so well-acted. The characters were The pacing was incredible. Oh, my God. Perfect amount of action. Just visually stunning. Just, oh, I just... I like... I'm so glad that we had good seats and 3D and... Yeah. Oh, you went 3D? Freaking enjoyable. Yep. Ugh. Did you notice it? I didn't notice that much of a difference with the 3D. Oh. Like I went in 3D and then I saw it a couple days later in, in normal. Regular? 
I didn't I didn't notice too much. Uh, of a it might be psychosomatic for me. Like the second I put on those glasses, and of course the 3D effect wears off within like the first 10 minutes. Like you stop being excited <laughs> yeah. by things coming towards you. But right. uh, I, I, it was just it was it was a good atmosphere. It was with the right people. It was like right. it was a good experience. Um, but then uh, I downloaded the cam version and watched that, and then that's when I like I pulled the scat and started getting a little bit nitpicky and critical. But but Whoa, overall, go back. Switch you balance. downloaded the what version? The cam version, like someone who like pirated it on oh videotaped in a movie theater. Oh yeah, Brooke, it's... how do you live with yourself? Let's answer that question. <laughs> how can you possibly uh... steal from a little industry studio like Disney? Oh fuck! Never mind. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. I'm gonna buy it. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> they've That's got true. my money. You'll probably buy it had, more than they've once. They've already had a, a sweet taste of my money hole. They're gonna get more. Don't worry right. about it. Yeah, yeah. I, they owe me this cam version. Like, that was like me downloading the Night of the Seven Kingdoms text before buying the book. I was buying the book. Yeah, and and also, I mean, like one of these days, studios are going to snap out of it and start making these films immediately available for purchase, so that they can just avoid the pirate. Like I saw so many like best of 2015 lists that also included uh, most pirated you know TV shows of 2015. I'm like, why is that even being calculated? Just give us the freaking media. I will give you my dollars. Just make it available. That's that's the problem is the availability. Anyways, so going back and watching it, um I loved Ray. Oh, I love everything about her. Um I loved yep. um Poe Dameron. 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 Oh, he's my early favorite, oh but I got to love pilots. Oh. So. One, I already loved Oscar Isaac. Two, oh, just such a, like, he was like uh, the Han Solo, but not overdoing right. it, right? Like, they needed that, not comedic relief, but that, I don't know, that little sass Kind of that injection. lighter side. Yeah. Sass. Sass is a good way of saying it. Yeah. <laughs> they they needed sassy. that, you know, that everyman pilot who, you know, everyone who wants to be and can relate to. And he was perfect. Um, got me so excited. But uh, the whole. I nitpick about that whole thing. But go ahead. Oh, really? Okay, well, here's my nitpickiness, is uh, with Finn, um, having been, like, raised from birth as a stormtrooper, and and brainwashed, and, you know, all of his training and behaviors, and his, I don't know, the movies that he would have watched, the people he would have talked to, all of the indoctrinations. The clockwork and, orange, eyes pried open experience of brainwashing? Like... Basically, he shouldn't even know, like... Yeah, at one point he asked Ray, he's like, do you got a girlfriend? Or a boyfriend? Yeah. <laughs> and how would he even know what, like, girlfriends and boyfriends are, right? Like, he should have one thing on his mind, which is what everybody Storm else... Stormtrooping! Stormtrooping. He got called a traitor, like, eight times. <laughs> like, everybody else is on board. Where did he get this alternate conditioning? And I hope that it's actually, like, revealed in future films that, like, maybe he was sneaking off to, like the galactic internet or something to galactic molestown <laughs> yeah Molestown to yeah. dig for treasure to get his hit because like what else was what like like god knows what we're brainwashed to believe is right right now like you just don't know what the alternative is so how did he know that there was an alternative anyways that was that was my biggest like come on and he's he and he's so 
he's so friendly and kind and nice, but yeah. he's been on this earth for like 25 years or however old he is, you know, raised to, to believe in the, the first order and, and galactic domination. That really actually made me, I, I'm getting all worked up now. I'm all hot over it. Oh. Give it some time. I <laughs> Let's see here. if they explain it. My problem was just with storytelling, which is a problem I have with J.J. Abrams. I think he's frankly not a great storyteller. Poe Dameron disappears for half the fucking movie. And you're like, what's going What's going on? And then he just shows up, no story, no nothing. And they just kind of give you an offhand explanation of where he went. Oh, yeah, I was over there and I just missed you. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, no, how about you show that? Show, don't tell. Look, this is something that people get told all the time in books. Show, don't tell. It's, God, it's way worse with movies. Don't tell me what happened. Show me what happened. This is a visual medium. It's mm. garbage. Mm. Yeah, maybe it was captured. Maybe it's a sleeper agent. Mm. They only have so much time. Mm. They only have so much screen time. That's my thing. You know what they can cut out then? The bullshit the Han Solo alien fest. That shit but was Han garbage. Solo, Han Solo is a main character, though. And that's just how. Not anymore, are. bitch. <laughs> Poe Dameron's a main character. Give, <laughs> give him some screen time. Don't call me names. <laughs> I'm sorry. Look, it's wrong. Poe Dameron will that... have his come up. How much? Will, how? Okay. He will. Raise of hands that we can't see. Oh my god. Who thinks Han Solo is awesome? I assume all three of us are raising our hands. Yeah. We don't need that alien scene. It's a waste of time. We didn't need it. It, it was my least favorite scene in the film. But still, you can't just go and explain and everything and putting everything on film. Everything like how your main character got off a desert planet when he was stranded? Or he's one, not of, a main one character. of your three main. This... Poe Dameron is. He's the Han Solo. Brooke just said it. He's a Han Solo personality. I would. <sighs> come I on. I still he's... consider him a supporting character to Ray and Finn. No, look. Oh, come and on. Kylo Ren. Yes, there's four main characters, just like in episode four. Jeez, who'd have thought? They copied that. It's the same thing. I Poe is my favorite character. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. consider him as as main a character as Finn, Ray, and Kylo Ren. Oh, I do. I I mean, I think they want us to feel that way. Mm, I disagree. Yeah, we they did like bank on a lot of emotional investment because otherwise, why would we have been excited about the rescue, right? And his reunion with with Finn and and BB. Oh, he's the first good guy we see. Yeah, yeah. But to okay. the a credit to the actors and and to the script too. I I, I did believe all of that relationship with Finn and, and Poe Dameron. I thought it was a, a little corny when, with the rescue a little bit, but I believed it in, in the, in the tradition of star Wars. I believed it. And I thought the actors did a great job pulling it off. Yeah. That, that's credit to the actors. They're both amazing. And yeah. I love BB eight. Oh my God. What an amazing droid. He's droid win the best, the best droid. So it was Bill Hader that developed his sound, and also, wasn't it the guy who plays John Ralphio yeah. on Ben Rat? Schwartz or something? Yeah, I read that. <laughs> so great. I'm so glad they got actual comedians in there. That is so cool. It is cool. It's that... a good touch. I mean, that that is, that's why you want somebody like Abrams around. That is an excellent touch. Bring in the right that's... people. He's amazing at that. I heard that they were that that, that style uh, BB-8's physical appearance was the original R two D two idea, but they couldn't or similar to it at least. Yeah, but I think they you can see that in some off. of the uh, original drawings. 
the yeah they couldn't pull that off movie yeah. making wise in 1977 or whatever. who who's the artist the plebeian has to ask the master who's the artist that did all the drawing macquarie is it macquarie that did all he the drawings did early a lot of a, a lot of them yeah, yeah i think i think you can see that that spherical design early on in his designs yeah i think george did a lot of the early early stuff who uh, george lucas who who <laughs> is, he, to us. is he around anymore <laughs> did he make all those garbage can droids because those were works of art <laughs> did you guys uh so so quick question and then if we have any other questions we can move on but uh the big one of course uh, let's capture it here who who does ray belong to does she have a famous parent <laughs> luke skywalker oh i thought you meant does ray belong or to is that trumped up uh, I know it's so like it seems like very obvious, maybe too mm -hmm. obvious, but there's got to be some connection. Well, there's certainly some connection. He trained her or knows her or something. It, it's clear she had been trained. The visions give that away, I think, that she has some sort of previous knowledge of the Force and her, yeah, and like... that she can, and that she can actually use the Force. That's what I mean. Yeah, Jedi, no, Jedi we'll mind tricks. We'll figure it out. We we'll use the Force. That was one of my favorite lines. <laughs> That's not how the Force works. <laughs> That's not how it works. That was one of my favorite lines the whole time. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll use the Force. Uh, I uh, I think yeah. she is, but my reason is different than most of what I've heard. I, I did hear this one place, but most of what I heard is, is different. My, my main reason is actually just how great she is with machines and calling back to Anakin. Mm. Anakin was... Yeah. A friggin' Mensa member at Machines. He could do whatever he wanted. And they show you, like, I don't even know, five times? She just, like, tries something with Machines and it just works. And you're just like, oh, that's Anakin's grandkid right there. That's that's Anakin's kid, grandkid. That That's passed down through the blood. That's why yeah, I believe and it. And Luke with the piloting <laughs> skills. Luke and be knocking up chicks all over the galaxy? No, like... knocking up is strong. We don't know. I mean, there's a lot of history. We don't know what happened. But... I, he marries Mara Jade, guys. Oh, Come Jesus. on, Fuck. everyone this... knows that. <sighs> yep. She could be a granddaughter too. Like there could be some another twist in there somewhere. Could be another I've twist. Heard theory, I've heard a theory that she's a Kenobi. Yeah, mm -hmm. I heard that too. I mean, but look, I it's missed that. Much like one of the letters we got, or one of the emails we got from uh from one of our uh, our friends from Davos Fingers. Yeah, it could be. It could be that she's also Palpatine's daughter, or anybody else's. I mean, it, it could be anybody that that had strong force powers. It could be anybody. But what you have to look at is what's been given to you, and what's been given it to you is a sense of good, which Luke absolutely had, a absolute mastery of machines, which Anakin absolutely had, being a brilliant pilot out of fucking nowhere, which Anakin absolutely had. Uh, I and mean. Luke. Uh, and Luke too. Luke too. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he Anakin's... flew an X-wing in a battle with no training at all. No training at all. True. <laughs> yeah. Good point. I think. I think he what you're doing is pointing out a flaw in Episode Four. But uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I think it, what I meant was that Anakin is called at age like six yes. or whatever an excellent pilot or whatever by Obi Wan. But right. um, he says in Episode Four, when I first met him, he was an excellent pilot. But or something along those lines. Um, I just I just feel like the hints they've given are too strong. And what does that mean? Like Brooke has said multiple times, 
with RLJ, with RLJ is that maybe he's hinted too much and now they'll go back and do something else. And maybe that's what their intent is. But the hints are strongly there. Yeah. Yeah. My initial theory, and I'm totally pulling some stuff out of my butt here. I think I've told you, Scat. Ooh, butt stuff. Yeah, you like my butt stuff. Well, uh, <laughs> let's not get dramatic about that it. That was too far. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's like Thursday night occasionally. <laughs> Come on. Uh, so Luke is uh, Ray's dad. Um, he was training her at the Jedi Academy when Kylo went crazy. Um, uh, to protect her, he thinks, hmm, where's a good place to hide little Jedis? Uh, how about offshoot desert planets? That's worked before. So he takes her there, maybe uses some uh, Jedi technique to repress some of her memories of being a Jedi, kind of lock them up or something like that. And there she is. And then when Kylo, because it seemed like when Kylo Ren got into her head is when she started having these visions and things started kind of coming back to her. Uh, Maybe Kylo being in her head, using the force, torturing her and stuff kind of triggered something that unlocked those and things started to come back to her. That's my Earl theory. It's a good theory. I, I I don't have any quibbles with it, like, possibility-wise. Just, like, it doesn't feel like Luke to just leave her with some dude. That that's, that does bother me. That's, that's my biggest hang-up. Yeah. Is that he didn't leave her in a better situation. And, well, go ahead, to support your theory, um, the lightsaber that Maz Katana had, uh-huh. and uh, Han Solo's, like, where did you get this? And she's like, that's a great question for another time. Maybe the answer is Luke Skywalker gave it to her. and She's been secretly watching over Ray and waiting for the right time to give it to her. Maybe. Yep. Uh, yep. I, I, I thought it was odd that out of nowhere, um, Princess Leia bypasses Chewbacca after Han's death. Yeah. You notice you actually see it happen. Yeah. Chewie and Leia walk right past, right each, past other, each other. Yeah. And and Leia goes straight to Rey, who she's apparently never met before, mm. and wraps her up in this huge hug. I'm like, what in the world? I thought that was so weird. She yeah. didn't even like hug or acknowledge Chewie. And maybe Chewie was so grief stricken, like he was just like, Don't talk to me, Wookie sad. Well, he'd uh, also she'd also just seen Chewie previously. Um, he'd also just shot her son. So maybe she was mad at him. <laughs> Good point. Didn't think of that. Um, she doesn't know that though. Uh, well, but she yeah, might. Well, well, that's well, they, that's they an interesting point. It. Well, how far do you want to go down the rabbit hole? How much force does? How much force power does she have? How much does she know what actually happened? I mean, it, it's possible that she's feeling what happened and actually right. knows more than Han did. Because my argument against that was Han doesn't know that it's her niece. His, sorry, it's mm. his niece. Well, yeah, it could be argued. I've seen things, too, that that he did know, and there are things I noticed my first and second time through that indicate maybe he's giving a little nod when she says, I've never seen a place that green or whatever, and he looks kind of forlornly like, oh, she should have been raised better. There are some things in there that indicate, like, maybe he does know the part when he's giving her the gun or whatever, I know you can. Job offer. Uh, Job offer, all that stuff. There are little hints in there, like, maybe he knows, but the hug is kind of... It feels like you have a relationship with this person, and yeah, it 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 definitely reads that way to me. Yeah, I'm there. I'm there with you on that, Matt. A little bit. 
at least. Yeah, I think a better way to play that would have been them to just stand there and face each other, and then like Ray to like kneel down and Leia to put her hand on Ray's head or something. But, like a hug was like, <laughs> well, wouldn't you agree? Like something a little more formal. Like... Well, she's just a general. Yeah. It's not like she's a princess. Oh wait. And as far as <laughs> and as far as Leia's uh, force abilities, I, I that's I've wondered that too. In I'm sorry, Scott, but in the expanded universe, Leia what makes a conscious universe? decision that she just doesn't. She doesn't have time to. I'm ignoring you. She doesn't have time to uh, because she's leading the galaxy basically to develop her Jedi abilities. So she makes the conscious decision that she's not even going to train. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, we talked about this force, too, and, and maybe that's what she did here. We've talked about this in with Warging, and with she's Bran just, versus. She's so wrapped up in the resistance, and we've talked about those Bran and the uh, versus the other Starks and Warging. And how much time they can put into it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's busy. She's got other shit going on. I can see her not developing it to the right. same degree. It doesn't mean she doesn't have the skills. Which, you know, clearly she's yeah, linked absolutely. to Han. She can feel when he goes down. You see that in the film. Um, how much more does she know? Who knows? I think it's feasible, That's Matt. That's a great point. She, she suffered more than a family. I mean, like, her entire plant was blown up. Like, um... Her husband, whatever Han was, was killed by her own son. She's, you know, Luke ran away instead of supporting her, but she's never once, like, turned to the dark side, even though she has had probably the most reason out of anyone to respond to those yeah. crazy messed up emotions. Yeah, she, she said oh, it. She said it in the why She hasn't made the decision uh, to train. Yeah, maybe, maybe she just wants she... to avoid that. Mm. She knows. Because she's afraid that she will. Mm-hmm. Oh. She also says it in the film. Okay. We, when when okay. she's talking to Han, she says, we both did, in, in reference to uh, going back to what they're good at, right? She's good at commanding people mm-hmm. and being in charge and getting the job done. And she went back to that instead of being a Jedi. The world didn't need a Jedi for her. They needed her mm-hmm. to be who she was. And so she went back to that. The Galactic Senate not sit still for this. <laughs> the Galactic Senate. If, oh, geez, yeah, we probably should. It's been thirty-three minutes or so of of, uh, of Star Wars review. Um, in case we end up releasing this, I'll just say, hey, everybody out there, if you liked what you heard, let us know. If you like, uh, if you like the Davos Fingers uh, movie commentary, um, but uh, otherwise, we're going to get back to podcasting. We call it Star Wars. What happens when the shots ring out? It's called Star Wars. We call it Star Wars. Thank you for your patience. I'm here. I'm glad you're here. I wasn't sleeping. And also, and also, fuck you guys, because I just read the chat history from the last cast, where Brooke said, I assume it's the Rescue Rangers version of A Christmas Carol. <laughs> You can't see, but I have double middle fingers <laughs> right up your asses. Nope, but I hate to do this because I know it's getting late, but do you mind if I now step away for just a second? What? Sorry, I should have planned that better. No, that's okay. Brooke and I can rap together while you're gone. Yeah. Please do. Okay, no just problem. a sec. We'll sing a duet. Okay. Brooke, can what did you Drake? have in mind? Uh, yes, he's a Canadian <laughs> rapper, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Just kinda? What are you infatuated now or something? Oh, well, no, I don't mind his music. It's okay. But... Oh, you call it music? I love that. Okay. I love that. <laughs>
he's defined as a Canadian rapper. He well, could I just be say, just a rapper. I wouldn't say he is defined that way. That's there's, how there's I described him. Non-American rappers. Funny story. Did you almost? Did you know that I almost named my first son Drake instead of Luke? Oh, that would have been amazing. And then on learning that it was a Canadian rapper, I decided not to. <laughs> You Googled him, you're like, mm, no. <laughs> well, no, sadly, my wife had to tell me that that was a rapper out there. I was like, oh, the fact that he was Canadian had nothing to do with it. But uh, I had to uh, be told by my wife that there was a pop, well, a popular uh, rapper out there named Drake. Because I am that out of touch with. I can't believe we're the same age. It's amazing. Man, Brooke, uh, like. The, the biggest heartbreak there is Drake is his stage name. His real name is Aubrey, which I think is an excellent name. Oh, I should have named my kid Aubrey. Yeah, Aubrey Drake. <sighs> Damn, I'm such a failure. Have to have another one. Uh, nope. <laughs> Not happening. My labia have been sealed shut. <laughs> oh my god. I don't know what I'm imagining right now, but it's hilarious and disturbing at the same time. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad I could take you there on that journey. <laughs> it's what I do. I paint pictures with words. Uh, I'm so glad you only had to tell me that and not show me that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have a camera on this computer, but I'm not going there. Are we? Minutes. Is it? Has it been enough time that we can accuse Matt of doing more than peeing yet? Oh my god, it's definitely a number two. It's a violent number two. Obviously. Is this what you said about me? That's awful. It's an awful thing to say. <laughs> no, we danced around it. But for Matt, I'm just gonna come out and say You're it. Just gonna go with he's, it. He's destroying us plumbing. <laughs> oh jeez. Oh, hello. We can't hear you. Hey. Hey. I mean, yes, we can. It took a long time. Oh, okay. Well, I've just been here talking, listening to you guys talking about me destroying my plumbing. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Uh, your mute button was on, and we're embarrassed no. that we were talking about you. And we're not, really. It wasn't not true. But I <laughs> oh, good. You ever have those that just, like... They Mine squirt slid out. out. Just it just it was like an other almost. Yeah, just yeah. Like I was just gonna say that. Yeah, it slid off the and horse. Like, yeah. like you don't even need to wipe after because it was just so. <laughs> well, oh, wow. Listen, just, it's a minimum of two wipes, regardless of what's going on down there. A minimum. You, st- you still wipe, just yeah. you know, to be sure, but you didn't need to. Oh wow! Thanks, thanks. I'm glad your fiber management is up to snuff. Uh, you even want to keep that part where I called you a bitch? Uh, yeah. <laughs> because I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back to that in the future, and I want it out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's out there. Matt, I love you. Love you too. All right. Uh, are we ready to podcast? Hey, what?